Nice tap. Embrace the flavor of life. The way I see it is you've got two choices. You can either keep pretending like nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you, and then when it does, you're saying, uh-oh, or you can get ahead of what's coming so that when it does, not if, you're ready for it, and you're sitting pretty, sipping on Mai Tais next to the pool, working on that Caribbean suntan, because you got it covered. So folks, it's time for you to learn the truth about money. It's time for you to take back control of your money so that you are ready for what's about to happen. By doing that, you're setting yourself up for absolute success. No matter what comes your way, you're ready for it. And that's what I want for you, and I wanna help you with that. So go to chrisnoggle.com and sign up for the Wealth Webinar. We do them every Wednesday at 1 p.m., and you need to be there because it's time. For over 90 years, we've been crash testing our cars in the tireless pursuit of automotive safety. At Volvo, safety's been first since 1927. We've saved millions of lives with the invention of the three-point seatbelt in 1959. At Volvo, we've made driving safer for you and them. Visit safety.finleyvolvo.com to learn more. So they say if you give a man a gun, he'll rob a bank. But if you give a man a bank, he'll rob everybody. The good news for you is Private Money Club runs solely on peer-to-peer -peer relationships, which means no banks allowed. So finally, there's a community for real estate entrepreneurs where it is truly a win-win solution. This community is a place where you can connect with other lenders and other borrowers, and the end results, massive growth for you. You get to build your real estate empire, and you get to do it solving other people's problems. So if that sounds like a place you want to be, well, then join us. Go to privatemoneyclub.com forward slash Kelly. And if you want 500 bucks off, just add the code Kelly500 and I'll knock 500 bucks off the premier membership. We'll see you on the inside. Is this thing on now? I believe you can hear me now. The reason why I'm saying uh, like, is this thing on is because... What I keep telling every single person that I come in contact with, including the alarm that you're hearing right now, and the alarm is going off because I keep telling you the exact same thing. The exact same thing is make friends. When you make friends, it makes life so much simpler because then you get a chance to just be exactly who you are. People ask me, like, what's the secret sauce? Guys, there's no secret to life. There's no secret in business. There's no secret in relationships. You know what it is? hard work, and time. And what I've distilled it down to is it, it, these two words, just making friends. And the way that you make friends is you have the, a type of vibe that people want to be around. Your vibe is what people feel when they walk away from you. When they come in contact and they walk away, how do they feel? That's your vibe. How can you build that? Take your heart set, your mindset, and your skill set, put them in line, and guess what? You can have an irresistible vibe. And then you start to be able to make friends. And when you make friends that are the greatest people in the world at the, they're, uh, and they're the greatest thing in what they do, guess what you get to be? Exactly who you are. And it takes the, the pressure off all the things that you're doing. So for me, I have made some incredible, incredible friends, one of which you're going to be able to hear from today. I got to sit down with this uh, young man, a former Green Beret, special operations, 
unbelievable man. Not only that, but he's transferred it into business and with his heart. I just got off the phone with him and he's going through some challenges. I got a chance to be able to, you know, I, I was talking to him about a couple of things that we were working with. And uh, I got off the phone and when I did, I realized that I had rushed through and I was only focused on the task at hand. Then I called him back and I said, hey man, I forgot just to pray with you. And so we took the time and we prayed about the situation that he was going through. And I tell you, that's the true connection with true, true friends. It's not about what they could do for you. It's about how you can be there for them and listen to them. And uh, it's my honor and pleasure to bring to you uh, my, my friend, uh, former Green Beret. This guy is an unbelievable, not only in the special operations, serving our country at the highest level, which some of the stories is going to blow your mind, but also now in the entrepreneurial space. And this man is an absolute genius on all levels. And the leadership that he speaks about is not from theory, but from practical application. So I hope uh, every one of you enjoys the episode. Um, like I've told you before, if you are loving what we're doing, subscribe. My son will think I'm cooler. Subscribe, like it, and do this for me. If you really love it, share it with one of your friends, because I believe that these conversations can really change the world. I love all of you. Thank you so much for all of your support. Have a phenomenal day and enjoy this incredible episode. Thing. On today's show, this is not Chuck Norris, everybody. Uh, this, this is a man that inspires me. I've been picking his brain the whole entire day. And I guess picking the brain is the best words to use. I actually don't like it when people use it on me. So uh, you, can, you can smack me later for, uh, for saying it. But I've been questioning this man, interrogating him, if you will, all day because I'm so curious about a man that has served his country at the level that he has and that has the type of acumen, the financial acumen, the, the real estate acumen, the business acumen, and also the heart that he does. It's incredible because 17 years in special operations, I like to, I, I've called him everything in the world in special operations and he's been completely okay with me. But uh, uh, a Green Beret um, has been in special operations again for 17 years and has served it again at the highest, highest level um, in the in our military and for our country. Um, in and out of the, uh, you know, in and out of the military. Uh, now he's in the civilian side, um, but it has been unbelievable to be able to uh, to be able to connect, and also to a company that he has, um, which we're going to talk about, which is he says is his favorite. We're going to see if it is. Um, but Poppington's Poppington's popcorn and how a special operations man that is at the highest level has fallen in love with popcorn the way that he has. It is unbelievable. But I think the thing that stands out to me is every single time that I've tried to question you, every time that I've tried to ask and see, like, is there a place where, you know, you, you just, you turn that switch, you turn it back to a humanity side and being able to see from somebody else's view as opposed to just your own. And uh, my hat's off to you. I want to thank you for your service and tell you that you're one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and so welcome to the show, Mr. Merrick Donnelly. Uh, Kelly, thank you. That's a, a great introduction. And, and, if, and if, if that would come out of your mouth that I'm one of the most inspirational people you've ever met, that's, that's, that's high praise coming from <laughs> you because you've met some of the greatest people that, uh, that, I've, that I've met and that I've heard of. So, you know, thank you for that. 
Well, it's been Appreciate it's it. been amazing, man. Like I want to go right into. I know I'm making you emotional because I'm <laughs> I'm as in my eye that, no, so that's that, what that's what he says. He <laughs> says that he's got some in his eye. If you're watching, you can see that he is teared up because I have yeah. made him so emotional. If you're listening, I want to explain to you. This man, honestly, is an action figure. First of all, if you're listening, um, if you took Chuck Norris and Rambo, smashed them together, and then uh, you know and and. Uh, took him to another elite level, that would be Merrick. So all these jokes that I say, there's a lot of things in between us so he doesn't choke me out when I, when I do it. Um, but what made you want to go into the military in the first place? You know, uh, Kelly, I, I, I would like to tell you that, uh, that it started off in a place of nobility that I wanted to serve my country with so many other young men and women that decided to take that route. Uh, but, but I have to be honest when I say when I joined the military, it was almost out of necessity. But I think like most people, where we start out is not where we end up. And um, I, I found a calling. I found, uh, I found some self-actualization. And then that's kind of what moved me to where I am. You know, it's you only excel in life through passion things that you're passionate about. And uh, I found a passion where I didn't expect it. And I found a calling where, where I never would have guessed. And so, When you say out of necessity, and then you used another word that was a big word too. So uh, Merrick has his master's degree and, and I've got a high school education. So whenever he uses words with more than two syllables, then I'm going to question him on them. I'm joking with you. So, but when you, when you were, you were talking about uh, self-actualization and you were talking about also too the, uh, that it was out of desperation, right? Or, uh, you know, no, I mean, that's accurate. Sure. Okay. So take us to young Merrick then. I mean, was young Merrick Chuck Norris uh, back in the day too? Uh, well, well, young Merrick was certainly scrappy. Okay. Uh, yeah, young Merrick. Um, Why would you want to fight so much? You know, you know that's uh, I, I've asked myself that question. Um, I, I had very loving parents. Uh, okay. my, my father was um, probably the most loving man you could ever meet. Um, I, I think that I was I was wanting to fight, and uh, maybe because I was. Um, a minority where I grew up, I was just a, a big white boy, and and that that kind of painted a target a possibility. Okay. Uh, another one is that uh, that I guess I I was a loser, and I I very often felt like I failed my my parents. You know, they my father worked so hard for my family, and it was a desperate struggle. Finances were, um, to to put it very very lightly it was very tight for for a big portion of my life and uh he worked so hard to provide me all this opportunity that i wasn't mature enough to um accept and and to really capitalize on and so i I think that i that i wore that with aggression um i think that help help us to understand tight when you talk about tight because there's like I, i have a friend named darren and okay. Darren one time came in. I was living in uh, Vegas. Darren, if you're listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But he came in. He said, I said, how are you doing? He said, man, it was a rough day. I said, well, tell me about it because I wanted to empathize with him. <clears throat> and he said, man, I was driving um, my 7 Series here to see you, and the tire blew out. So I had to call my assistant so she would bring me my Mercedes and then she would coordinate someone to come and fix a tire because I knew I had to get here. I said, wait, wait, wait. 
So a rough day is for you to break down in your 7 Series, for your S-Class to show up with your assistant, and for them to fix a tire, and then you to move on. He was like, yeah. And the next time he came in, he said, I'm having a rough day. I said, are you having a Darren rough day, or are you having a regular rough day? And he just started laughing. So when you say tight, well, uh, paint the I, picture. I would say uh, considerably tighter than that, Kelly. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was, a, you know, my father, uh, he was... Um, my father was not an educated man, but he was an intelligent man. Mm. And, and you know, uh, and, and you say you've only had a high school di- high school diploma, so you know very well you're a highly intelligent individual. You don't need education to make that difference. You know, and there's a big difference. So my father worked his way at an early age. You know, he was much older. My father had me when he was 35. Uh, so uh, and my father just recently passed, mm. and um, so he was in his uh, early, you know, his 70s or uh-huh. so. But he came from an era where he didn't need a degree to become an engineer. He became a chief engineer of a, of a Skyrise, and uh, was it was very successful. He he was doing he was on top of the world and he was doing great. And then uh, troubles came on down on the company, some legal trouble, financial trouble, and and he lost his job. Okay, ultimately, and most people in the building did. The issue is is when he went to seek reemployment from other companies. Well. Without a degree, he had been working for so long in that field, and, and it, the world changes, as it always does. So he found himself in a place where he didn't have the education to continue doing the job that he had already mastered. So, uh, so you know, the, the nice house that we had and the nice life that we were accustomed to, you know, preparation was not made uh, to survive hardship like that. And so when I say hardship, uh, money is tight, what I, what I mean by that is... Um, um, sharing cans of food, uh, using extension cords to power our electric house, um, just small things in the house that we could use. Um, we would wait till winter. We'd be excited. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, so it's it's winter there is is mild in comparison to almost anywhere else in the world, you know. But um, we would be excited because we would take, you know, like we would be able to have like dairy products and stuff. And if we could afford it, we would get it and we would sink it in a pool of water. And then we would be able to pull it out with like a milk crate and a rope, you know. We would just sink it and then we'd pull it out with a rope and and then we would have that. And so, yeah, it was um, there was a, a rough period for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, as I get older, um, I, I really have an appreciation for what my father was going through during that time um, and just how strong of a man that he was. Yeah. So when you, when you said it earlier, like I spent, I've spent the day with you, uh, which has been unbelievable. Yeah, I've been kind of in and out. We've been shooting some stuff we're going to talk about here in a bit. Um, but when you said this word, you said that you were a loser, like... <laughs> I mean, that's hard to believe, man. I mean, with the stories that you're talking about, and, and literally, I, and we're going to get into this, I tried. I have tried to find a place where it would be like, no, nah, man, like, you know, because I, I told you about the story about my, my daughter. She just got her e-bike stolen. So if you stole the e-bike and you're listening to the podcast, you need to return it. She's 14 years old. She worked really hard for this thing. And I, I, I you know, in the last couple of days, I kind of lost my religion. Like, I, I was like, I, I wanted to inflict some stuff. Now, I've, I'm glad that I have you as a friend because, you know, it could help out at some point. Um, but when you say that loser part, explain that to us and why did you feel that way? Sure. Uh, so, so first of all, I would say, and, 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 and I would say this to, to any man, uh, any young man right now, is being a young man is difficult. Um, we're immature. Uh, we don't have direction. 
there's a world of, of um, responsibility waiting for us and not a lot of guidance, not a lot of patience for us. Uh, we don't get hugged enough. Simple things, simple things, you know. Um, I would say that, that I was a loser because like many young men, I had no control over myself. Uh, I, I was angry uh, at nothing really. I, I, so I didn't have all the pretty things and all the new clothes that some of my friends had. But I, what I had was loving parents, and I, and I didn't see that. At least I didn't appreciate it the way that I wish I had. Um, you know, I would fight at school uh, often. What would start a fight? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, if I saw you, like, there's no way that I'd want to fight. Like, <laughs> not, not at all. Like, I saw them arms, and I saw you today, and I was like, man, I'm going to say some jokes, but there's always going to be witnesses. We're gonna, I'm going to do it in a public place. I was giving you the business when we were at Home Depot because there's a lot of people around. But, like, what, I mean, what would start the fights, and would you be the one to always end them? Uh, you know, I, I I have always been pretty scrappy, um, I, but I, I wasn't the size that I am now. Uh, you know, many years of, of fitness and, and protein and, you know, dedication. But um, I, I would rarely start the fight, uh, but what caused it most usually was uh, poor treatment for people that I care about. Ooh. So bullies in schools. Okay. Coming down on friends. Uh-huh. Um, Did you get bullied because you had red, red hair? Red hair? Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, sure. There, and only in middle school though, like seventh and eighth grade. Man, those were rough years. <laughs> really? Tell you. Oh yeah. How about though oh, with yeah. the ladies? Was I mean, was the were the ladies loving on you? I mean, were because like Ed Sheeran is big now, so like red hair He's is my our favorite. You know what I'm saying? Like Ed Sheeran is there. Uh, who else we got? Like um, uh, Ron Howard. Yeah, I'm okay. just joking. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a strange one, but but he's a good guy. Uh, no, I, I can honestly say that uh, back at that era, redheads uh-huh. were never uh, they were never highlighted in a in a appreciative manner. You know, we're always like the 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 nerds or the bullies or the weirdos. You know, okay. that was that was always us. Uh, I, I actually did pretty well with the ladies in high school. Okay, uh, all right, I, I did well. Something about a bad boy. I think that the uh, the there ladies appreciated. So they wanted bit. to see the fighting and stuff like that. Was it? Would oh. you fight after? After school, in the hall, during class, what would you do? In the hall, in the hall after school. Okay, yeah. would you tell them to meet you? Like, meet me at 12, 15? No. It would just happen? No, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a man of action on that. I, What's I your, what, what is your theory on it? Is it, uh, F, was it uh, FFH, like first, fast, and hard? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you strike, like, does, or do you, would you... Would a person say something, then you'd be like, what? And then you, they would push, and you would push, or were you just like, nah, I'm going? Well, so the second, you know, my father always told me, let them make the first strike, right? So he said, let them hit you first, and then you finish it. And so uh, at least in school, that was kind of my MO. So, okay. um, yeah, you know, they would do this push stuff, and I would say, hey, look, man, you're going to take a swing, or I'm going to walk away. If you're not going to swing on me, then you have no intention of fighting me, and that's okay if you're afraid. But, and then they would usually swing at that point. And then once, man, once that once that contact was made, it was game on. Uh, I am a little ashamed to say that I, I really I really enjoyed fighting at that time in my life. Uh, I it, and I can also say that that probably had nothing to do with joining the military. Mm. So strange, right? So but. when we were just talking, because we were just at dinner, and I was talking about, I said, how is it, though, when you're in special operations and you're a Green Beret? I mean, you're the baddest man on the planet. Like, you're a, a legitimate 
superhero. Like James Dixon, you may be called Superman, but I got Chuck Norris in the studio right now. So James Dixon, take that. He's a big dude. He's a big dude. (laughs) But we were talking about it and I was like, there's so many dudes that test that, that, that see it. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, he must think he's bad. So I'm going to test it. And you talk to me about control. Yeah. How do you go from a kid who wants to fight to one of the most controlled human beings I've ever seen because you were telling me that you train to stay calm in the craziest conditions. Well, uh, so let, let's go back to, to young men for just a second. You know, uh, I had made a statement earlier that, that we have a, a, a lack of discipline, a lack of maturity. Uh, and I think that comes usually from uh, a lack of self-esteem. And so I, I think at that time I, I had something to prove, maybe not to the world, maybe to the world, but, but to myself. Uh, and as time goes on, you know, you, 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 gain, you get much more mature. You, you understand what you bring to the world. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time working on myself, working on, on controlling my emotions. Uh, I, had a, I had an instructor one time that told me that calm hands bring precise shots. And, and when he said it, he wasn't specifically talking about the hands. He's talking about the mind. And so there was this, this concept that discipline and peace of mind um, will, will make you accurate. It'll make you calm. And when you can be calm in a combat situation, those are the people who win, the guy who is most calm. And you ask any UFC fighter, uh, any, any um, you know, SWAT team member or, or, or special agent, they'll tell you the same thing, the, the most important thing. The man that's most dangerous in a firefight is not the guy who's popping up over walls and doing somersaults. It's the dude that stands up, steps over the wall, and walks calmly to, to cover while firing. That's the guy that's confident. That's the guy that's accurate. That's the guy you look out for, man. That's the guy you look out <laughs> that's for. That's the one you want on your team. <laughs> that's that's right. what it is. That's right. Okay, so take us from this, this kid who's angry, who's fighting, and then you say that, you know, it, it was kind of a desperation situation. It wasn't an inspiration going to the military. Like, take us into that mentality. So my, uh, my parents left, and, and this is going to sound weird over camera, but my parents left uh, to go, um, you know, the period of financial struggles got so bad at one point, and, and my dad had an opportunity um, to go to New York to start a business or work in a business with, with my uncle, uh, my mother's brother. And he took that opportunity, right? And so here I am, I'm 16 years old, barely 16 years old, and my family's moving across country. And uh, I had just started dating this girl. It was the first girl that I ever started dating that I was serious about, my, my now ex-wife. Um, and uh, I didn't want to leave her. I, I felt that I wanted something more. You know, to be, truth be told, she had a rough family life. And uh-huh. I don't know, I had this protective nature. It's probably one of the things that, that have been most defining to my character, I think, throughout my life is this protective nature. And, uh, yeah, I, I stayed back. I stayed back. How would you convince your parents at 16 years old to <laughs> let you stay back with your girlfriend? If so, my son said that, I would snatch his tail and drag him to New York. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, my mom didn't know that I wasn't going until she got into the U-Haul. She's like halfway, and she's like, where, where's Merrick at or whatever. My mom left ahead of time. She got on a flight, I think, and she was talking to my dad on the phone. And he says, uh, Merrick isn't coming. And she's like, what do you mean Merrick's not coming? And, you know, I don't, I don't know what he told her, how that conversation went down. But when I was talking to my dad, um, he was pretty, he was supportive. He tried his best to convince me, but I was very stubborn. Um, 
you know, I said, hey, look, uh, I, 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 there was a good reason. I said, hey, I'll stay back with the house and help try to sell the house and, you know, whatever. And I can stay there for just a little bit. while You're going to help sells. sell the house at 16 years <laughs> old, Merrick. <laughs> well, I, I didn't help sell at all. In fact, I, I think I did quite the opposite. I was, you know, it was still wasn't mature at that point. But no, uh, you know, help keep the house clean and do the yard, things like that while the house sold. Back in that day, houses were taking like, you know, three to six months to sell. You know, it's different now when houses are leaving and like off the market in like 24 <laughs> hours, right? So. <laughs> so, 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 okay, so now it's the, the girl, you stick around. Yeah. Um, we fast forward 18, you graduate from high school or 17 or 18. I, and I got, I dropped out of high school. You dropped? I dropped out of high school right after that Right after that, hence the hence the desperation. I, I had no ID. Uh, my my parents were in state. I, I I was living with a friend. Uh, I was I was so one of my side gigs. I was trying to make money, and I was desperate to make some money. So one of my side gigs I had is uh, I would go to Home Depots, right? And there and there's a lot of guys that would that laborers that would hang out outside Home Depot that couldn't speak English. And so I went there thinking like, oh, I'm gonna try to work and work with them and, and learn a trade and all that. But but they were just all so proficient and I didn't know what I was doing, right? So then I had this idea. I was like, I don't really necessarily the only thing I can bring to this team of any of these guys is my English ability because most of them couldn't speak English very well. So uh, what I would do is I would I would get to know them. And, and then I would learn what their trades were, and I would negotiate with people who were looking for laborers. I'm like, hey, what do you need, man? Oh, I need a, 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 a stone worker. Okay, cool. That's Jose over here works with stone. You're going to need some framework cement guy that's going to be, you know, you know. <laughs> and so I would go through, and I would help these guys get jobs, and then they would pay me some money to help them get jobs. And so I did that for a little while. Um, I, I, I conned my way into some jobs, lied about my age, you know. Um, <laughs> whatever I had to do to make a little bit of money. Uh, and, and they would work for a while. One time I was the assistant store manager of a Target. They thought I was 25 with a college degree. <laughs> and uh, that, that lasted, Kelly, that lasted for about three months. And then one day, finally, I get a call. You know, they, were, they started asking me, like, about my, like, you know, we don't have any of your documents here in HR. Can you bring that in Monday? And I wouldn't bring it in Monday. And then, like, Friday would be around, hey, we're going to need those documents on Monday. And I wouldn't bring them on Monday until one day I'm in the, inside the store. I was down working in electronics. And I got a call page to the front office. And back, they don't have it anymore, but... Back in the day, the Targets used to have the big glass offices mm -hmm. above the cash registers, and you could look up into them. So I got a page to the front of that office, and I was walking up. There were two police officers in the in the office up there, and they paged me to. <laughs> so I got the heck out of there, man. I never looked back. I never even got my last paycheck. That was my life, Kelly. That was desperation. And, and, and I, I took a look at myself, and knowing that I wanted to, to pursue something further with this girl, and, and I had to figure a way to take care of her. And I thought, man, uh, is this what I want to be? Is this who I want to be? Uh -huh. um, you know, my dad, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't Dave Ramsey, but he was a respectful man. He was a hardworking man. Uh -huh. and, uh, and I just wasn't. I wasn't that, not then. And so I, I took a better look at my life, and I said, I need to do something. And uh, I had no qualifications. I had, I had nothing, nothing, nothing honest so I turned to the military, and they took me. They took me, and they were they were excited to take me. And so, well, they were excited because the ASVAB. Yes, you yeah. scored so high. You're a very humble guy. <laughs> you scored so high. What'd you score on the ASVAB? A uh, 99. I got a 99 on the ASVAB. Out of a hundred. Good lord! So yeah. when that happened, they're like licking their chops. 
they're ready for you. They, they're like, do you get any job you want when you go yeah. in? Yeah, any job. Any what job did I you wanted. choose? Uh, I chose something called uh, human intelligence, human intelligence collector. So okay. that's like, uh, that's interrogations and, okay. and intelligence collection from humans. And what, tell me the, I, I said, I used, and again, I don't know these words. So over sure. dinner, I was yeah. like, we were talking about Guantanamo Bay. And I was uh, like, oh, is that where they torture people? And you came back with, what's it called? Uh, you mean enhanced interrogation? <laughs> <laughs> so, I love this because I'll say it and then Miracle will make it sound so great uh, as you go. So you start as an NCO, you go in as an NCO, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you do you do four years. Do you do four years and then you go and get your degree? Uh, I started on my degree. Oh, geez, let's see. Uh, yeah, I started it. I started on my degree right around four years to get in the military. I had to get my GED, and got I did. It. I got my GED. Okay, and then I, I started on my my college to get my bachelor's uh, pretty pretty early into my career. Target, if you're listening, you still owe him money. <laughs> I just want to let you know if the CEO of Target, which I'm gonna, he's gonna be on the podcast next week. No, way. I'm joking oh, with you. Like, uh, oh, <laughs> I'll let him they know. Still got a warrant yeah. there for me. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him know that Merrick is waiting on his last uh, paycheck. So. You, you go in, you start working on that, um, and talk to us, too, about, because you went in as an NCO or a non-commissioned officer. Well, well I, I went as enlisted. Enlisted. Yeah, and okay. I became an NCO. Got it. Yeah. And so when you go when you go in enlisted, you can't talk to the officer. Like, you could talk to them, but you can't fraternize. Am I correct on this? Yeah. Uh, the, Can to, you explain that part of it? Because some sure, people don't yeah. understand the military. My, uh, my dad was an NCO, so he went in, um, you know, and... He was a little bit different because then he went and worked with NASA. So when he went to NASA, he had clearance that a lot of officers didn't have. But there was the fraternization too. But this was early, early on, so there was lines that were crossed and things like that. Um, but talk to, uh, like, explain that to me because some people don't understand it that haven't been in the military. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you know, you, you kind of have like three tiers of of of, of rank, you could say. Some some might argue a little more, but but ultimately there's like three tiers of ranks. There's enlisted, then there's an NCO channel. Now enlisted are are people who were pretty much initial entry, you know, high school diploma or even no high school diploma like me. You know, they they come in with no specific skills, and uh, and and almost anyone who comes in enlisted, NCOs included, are are considered enlisted. Mm-hmm. But so they they come in and you start there. And then you work your way up over time to a non-commissioned officer, otherwise known as an NCO. Yeah. Now, there, there is fraternization concerns, and fraternization is a term that's often used to describe relationships between enlisted and non-commissioned officers who are within the same command chain or any enlisted, including NCOs, who are having relationships outside of professional environments with officers, commissioned officers. So, um, and this isn't just relations as far as like man and woman, even like if your buddy is an officer and you're enlisted and you can't hang out and party together. Yeah. Uh, well, if you're within the same command chain, that's, that's, that's a, that's a big issue. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's a big issue. Now what, what I'll say, what I'll say Kelly and, and, and something I, I often say these days, especially to, to soldiers and especially of higher, higher rank now. Yeah. I do a lot of advisement right now as an advisor for a lot of military guys. And one of the things I say is, uh, is in the world of creati- creativity and intellect, rank is, is, um, is uh, 
is an outdated concept. Mm. I have met some of the brightest people in my life who were who were very low-ranked individuals, and they were very organized. They were very disciplined. They were highly intelligent, natural-born leaders. And I have met a lot of senior-ranked people who have spent 30 years in a career who are anything but those those descriptors. So uh, I, I would definitely say that it's that rank is is not always immaterial. Um, you know, there's a certain maturity and an experience that come with that uh-huh. with that rank. But I mean, if you can consider for a second, you know, uh, someone who comes in as, you know, let's say uh, an enlisted guy, not an NCO, but they come in as enlisted because they have to come in enlisted before they go NCO. And say they come in at 28 years old. Okay. Uh, that person lived for approximately 10 plus years uh, in, the, in a civilian adult world. They picked up skills. They understand, they understand taxes. They understand um, uh, loans. They understand how, how the world works, okay? But in the military, there's this thing that happens with, with young, young people joining. And, and it's like you move from your mother's house, you know, straight to, to your father, the government, you know, Uncle Sam's house, and, uh, and they take care of everything for you. And so you, 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 uh, you often have people who come in very early and they don't understand the real world. Here they are 15 years later. Now they are leader of soldiers and they still have very little understanding of how the world outside the military works which is a complex thing especially when you start com- combining that with like uh you know what i said i used to do is human intelligence collection well part of that is the understanding of of the people that you're interacting with and and that can be especially complex when you don't actually understand <laughs> normal human interactions right because man let me tell you i mean you've, you've, if you've if you've been a military brat was which is the term uh then you you know that um that some some military guys that's all they know they they know military and they know it well but they it makes them hard it makes them hard to relate to in some certain circumstances and so america thing that's fascinating about you too is the the your business and, and financial acumen and the the literacy that you have in both of those areas that's not common in today's society but especially it's not common in the military a lot of times that financial literacy in the military, um, it's not something that is emphasized a lot, or at least what I've seen. And when you take a person like you that has the type of discipline that you have from the military background, but then you add the special ops to it, and then you add your business acumen, then you add your financial acumen, where did that come from? And why was it so important to you to become business literate and financially literate? So, so my mother and I had a conversation about this about about five months ago. My mom just moved into my house about a year ago or so, you know, when my, my father started getting kind of sick. And, uh, and, and, and so to get to your question, I have no idea, Kelly. <laughs> what, so I, I started getting into business. Uh, I, I, I wanted more. I wanted stability. I wanted to bring stability for my family um, who, who, who was still struggling financially. Uh, I wanted to bring stability to to my my the mother of my children, you know, which I don't have kids yet, but and and still to this day, that's still a big thing for me. So ultimately, I, I wanted to bring stability because we my family has been in a tailspin for so long, mm-hmm. and um, so that was a big focus for me. I I started uh, reading a lot of books. I started with Dave Ramsey actually, yeah. Um, and 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 to go to one of your statements you just said about the military not having a lot of focus. The da- the military has something called Financial Peace University. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a, uh, it's, it's strictly a Dave Ramsey program that he mm-hmm. put on. And it's, it's a great program. But the problem is, is it's very basic. 
It's very, very basic. And, and, and for most military, that's what they need. Very something yeah. very basic. Uh, it helps control spending habits and, and gets you thinking about, you know, putting money away, saving money, and, mm. and potentially investing and all those kind of things. Uh, but it teaches you nothing about investing or nothing about anything other than the basics of putting money away rather than spending it. De- digging out of debt is a big focus. And, and so, so this is, is, is presented to soldiers as an option, and they take it or they don't. And, uh, and, and that just is not enough. If you want to work a nine-to-five for your entire life, get out of it, and then hopefully there's a retirement on your side, well, the, the reality of it is that people in this day and age who spend 20 years in a job are going to end that career and then be working in another 20-year career because it's not enough. It's not enough. And people my age and in your age, we have to wonder, will Social Security be there for us at that time, right? They've talked about, you know, potentially 10 years, that being that cutoff. So we, we the realization for me is that if I don't figure this out, no one else is going to. Mm. I need to be this person. I need to figure this out. Talk to the veterans right now. Five things that would literally change their trajectory financially if they applied those five things. Five things. So uh, first and foremost is, is I would get out of debt, all right? There's a lot of, uh, the, if you're curious about the best way to get out of debt, check out the snowball technique. The snowball technique is something that Dave Ramsey talks about. I still apply that to, I get a lot of soldiers that come into my office talking about some of these things, and, and I always tell them that's the first thing. Well, tell me what your debt's like, you know, and they tell me, talk to me about their debt, and then I help them structure an idea on how to pay off some of this debt and get themselves back into to a healthy position. The second thing I would say, and this also falls kind of in line with, with Dave Ramsey yet again, and this is where after this I divert from what, what, what he teaches, not that I claim to know any more than him, but just in a more advanced strategy, uh, is, is saving up money for, for emergencies, so three to six months of your bills. You put that away and, and have that aside in case you, you know, decide you want to venture off onto something, you know, or, or whatever that might be, whatever that looks like, emergency situations. And then after that, it's not being afraid. So I, I think one of the things that hold us back is the fear of failure. When you when you when you think of failing, you know, and and in a in a hole, people think of oh, you know, like striking out in baseball. Oh, I dropped that that pass, or or hey, you know, I got turned down by that girl. Oh, I got fired at my job. These you know, which is a serious thing. But but when you start putting financial like numbers on that, like what did that failure cost you? Oh, ten thousand dollars. Whoa. Oh man, and that's that's hard for for young people, people who don't have a lot of money, to think if I invest this, I could lose it, and that scares them. It's crippling. It's a crippling fear, and for good reason. Uh, but if you do that, um, there is no growth in comfort. When you are comfortable, you are not growing. You are only growing when you are uncomfortable. When you are putting yourself under a stress, you know. That's when you, it's, it's how you build muscle. It's how you build character, strength of character. You know, there's a, there's a quote, um, the, the anvil of responsibility uh, is the, wait, the responsibility is the anvil in which um, strong men are forged. And, and, I, I, and that is, I, I think, rings very true, very clear. So let's talk about this discipline. So you go, uh, you, you come into the military, and then when, when do you, what age do you choose special operations and move towards that uh, way? And then talk to us, too, about what you have to go through to be able to become a Green Beret like yourself. Oh, man. So, uh, 
So I, I would say that I always thought that, that that would be a cool route, like every other boy on the planet, right? We saw we talked about Rambo today. It's like, oh, man, that'd be so cool. But the realistic nature is that's not for everybody. And I certainly didn't think it was for me. Um, I wasn't the most fit always. I was a big kid. I had a big frame. But but I, I you know, I certainly wasn't working out when I was a kid. I was active. But uh -huh. aside from that... Um, I, I would say the opportunity presented itself. I excelled in early early training, um, and uh, and so the opportunity presented itself, and I decided to go with it. And and the the funny thing about um, special forces selection, okay, is is that they don't take the best of the best of the best. You would think that all the guys coming out of there are like you know six foot four, you know, all super jacked and and like highly intelligent. What you end up getting is those a lot of those guys who come in there they can be pompous and 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 what you end up getting is truly the people that graduate this program and, and leave the ones who were selected at least at least back then especially is people who were disciplined people who were easy to get along with people who connected well with their with the people either above or below them um, people who were intelligent and adaptable and so I came through I barely qualified to even get into selection and and I did well. And it's not because I was fit. It's not because I was the fastest. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the smartest. Um, but I, I had a lot of devotion, a lot of dedication. Uh, I um, sweat blood and tears, and uh, and I don't quit. And and what does the day look like? Like oh, what does the man. day look like when you're training? And and to help me understand, because I'm, I'm a curious guy, and I'm never going to go through it. So the reason why <clears throat> I love being your friend is because now I never have to be a green beret. <laughs> uh, because I feel that we together are special forces. Like we, we work together and so I'm somehow connected. And so it's great because when you have friends who do great things, you don't have to do that. You just have to be yourself. And so, but take us, take me into like maybe the first f couple days of the training that you go through and help us to understand the percentage of the people that go in and the percentage of the people that actually make it. So th that's changed a lot. The percentage of graduate graduates have changed a lot over the course of years. It okay. used to be something like 30% uh, attrition, or 70% attrition rate, 30% of graduates, rough, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. I don't have exact numbers. That's changed a little bit. Um, standards are, are lessening. Okay. Uh, there's um, less people who are, who are opting for that course in, in life, looking for that path. Uh, but... Um, you know, you, you said something, and, and I, I know that you're interested in the training, but something that you said that I, that I want to highlight that I think it's very applicable to your question is that you said you don't have to be special forces and, and that, you, that, you, that, you, that we're connected. And I think that's what makes someone who's in special forces. The idea is small team tactics, mm. right? And so, so I don't have to tell the, the viewers of this show that you are, are an incredibly inspirational man. The people who are in your circle, they come to you. They follow you. They, they, you inspire them. It's small guys and big guys alike, you, you know, from, from, from world-class experts like, like Dr. Dr. Henderson to, to, you know, heroes like uh, James Dixon to, to, you know, um, the, the, the normal, the normal Joe listening to your, to your podcast, who's searching for some sort of meaning in their life and, and for a direction, uh, what makes special forces special forces is that is that they work together, that they adhere to a team, that they rely on someone as an expert. 
This is the guy we go to for the weapons. This is the guy we go to for medical. This is the guy we go to for commo. This is the guy we go to for intel. And, and you rely on each other. You don't look over your shoulder because you know your friend has got your back. And so in that sense, in that sense, you're a very inquisitive person and, and you truly know your friends. And that's a trait that's in you that, that, that's very rare, Kelly. And so I, I would say that you don't have to be in special forces, not because you know someone from it, but because you kind of embody a lot of the traits that I think are most important within that environment and that, that group. So that means the world, man. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It, it really it. does. I, I'm, there's going to be times where I jump around a little bit because no it's, but we were talking earlier today and you said um, ROE. Ah, okay. Rules and of engagement. Yeah. Can you break this down? Because when you did, when you broke this down to me, it, it floored me. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't understand not only the things that you go through physically and that you went through physically and continue to, but also the things that you have to deal with mentally and emotionally when you are in a high stress combat situation and that ROE for me, when you started explaining it, 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 it literally freaked me out at dinner. Yeah. It, it, so, so rules, rules of engagement are, are a set of, of term, a set of uh, conditions in which you were allowed to re-engage um, a potential enemy. So uh, in the early Iraq days, uh, the rules of engagement extended someone carrying a firearm. Okay, if they're carrying a firearm and they have both hands on the weapon, it's at the re low ready or something, then, then, then they posed a threat. And, and the rules of engagement said that they could be open fire on. And, and, and this all changes based on, on the, the theater commander, whoever that is. Uh, and then slowly but surely, as, as the confrontation, the conflict there started to slow down, so too, so too did the rules of engagement tighten, okay? And so it went from, uh, you know, anyone with the weapon in their hands to anyone with the weapon up and pointed, right? And then, and then from there it goes, you know, them opening, like shooting, like firing the weapon. And then, and then, then, then it goes to, you know, most recently, uh, in some areas uh firing with the intent to make contact with you so it's not even enough that someone has the weapon and shooting i mean they could be shooting into the air or shooting above your head or shooting you know somewhere else in you and if it's not if you can't determine that it's being an act of aggression against you or your unit that you're with then you can't engage with that individual you know so so and and that's something that that our police force right now specifically i would say is is a is something that they deal with you know, something we talked about at dinner and something that I want to highlight, you asked me a question. I hope I don't steal your thunder here with this question. Yeah. Uh, but but you something that you said that I thought was very pertinent. You said, uh, um, uh, how, do you, how do you know when to shoot back, right? How do you know ultimately? And how do you know when they cross that line? Like, what's the consequences? And, and my answer, uh, I go back to a, to a good friend, a, a young man who, who just recently deployed. He had some anxiety about going overseas and he, he had a sidearm and he was, uh, he was not in the conventional military side. And so he was, he's doing some stuff in another country. And, um, and he said, well, what do I do? What do I do if I feel like I need to shoot my weapon? And I said, shoot your weapon. And he says, well, well, what if I'm not allowed? And I said, would you rather be, you know, buried by, you know, carried and buried by six or would you rather be judged by 12? And so it's, so the answer to me, and, and is, is very clear 
but it's not that way for society right now. For for police, I'd say especially, they're in a situation where 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 optics are always on them, and and they're in these situations where uh, you know any second someone that they're dealing with can pull a gun and fire at them, or 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 take their weapon from them and fire at them, or even just pin them to the ground and beat them to death with their flashlight. These things happen. These things happen, and it's not uncommon. And so officers now are under terrible scrutiny for, for people who, who are aggressive and, and they end up shooting these people. And, and yes, sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes it's a terrible, terrible mistake. But in those moments, it's very easy, you know, as, as a civilian who's never been in the situation of life and death to uh, term, you know, Monday night quarterback and say, oh, well, he didn't even, you know, he didn't even pull the weapon. He just had it on his body and he went to go hand it to the officer. Well, it's like, okay, say, say that in the dark, you know, after after a after a quarter mile foot chase, you know your 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 adrenaline's rushing. They turn around. They've been aggressive with you prior to that, and now they're reaching for their weapon. Even if they, if it looks like to you like they're going to drop it in the heat of the moment to a reasonable person on the ground, looked like they were grabbing for the weapon. Mm-hmm. And so so it's it's a the rules of engagement play a very large part of our stress in our life because that they're important that they exist. Is the idea is to is to mitigate the potential accidental loss of life or unnecessary loss of life, mm-hmm. but it it certainly there is a there is a very thin gray line, and uh, and I have lived my life and and I and I always encourage people to live their lives. Um, when you feel you need to defend yourself, you do, and and the rules the rules, you know, they'll have to fall where they may. So take us to your first mission. You don't have to go into the exact specifics, things like that. Um, but take us to the first mission because there's there's the training side to getting ready, all the stuff. But there's a difference when it's real. Like, I mean, obviously yeah. there's a training and then it's like, hey, it's go time. Are you super excited because you train for this? And hey, I'm born for this and I'm ready and I'm going. Or is it, I mean, holy cow like this is real uh, oh it's it's very much both uh you're 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 incredibly excited until the bullets start flying <laughs> what was your first mission like where do you go where, take i mean paint the picture if you can my, my first combat yeah your first combat, first combat when you send it yeah it was uh it was um uh I, I was young i think i was 22 22 years old uh we were flying into a place just to pick somebody up and it was a very a very hot area at the time uh, very, very hot. And all we were going to do is pick up as this individual, um, a bad guy that, that, that they had recently found that we wanted to talk to. And it was going to be simple. Fly in, pick him up. He was already, we already had him. He was already in custody. We we're just going to grab him and go. Uh, when we landed, uh, it, 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 it was a hot zone. Everything was, was, became super chaotic. I remember standing, I, standing, they usually have like the lowest rank guys, the newbies kind of like in the position of like highest threat. It's just a natural thing, you know. Like you, you can't lose the commander of the unit, right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta sacrifice the pawn, and and that's just a, a matter of a matter of reality. And so it, well, it sucks, but but it's the truth. And so uh, there I was, the pawn, <laughs> on the front of this helicopter. All of a sudden, the whole world lights up, and that's the moment where I said, "Oh, this is cool." No, it's not. This is scary. This is really scary. And uh, I froze in the doorway, um, and uh, I was just a big open target. We were probably, I don't know, maybe eight feet off the ground or so. And uh, my, my squad leader kicks me in the back off of the helicopter. 
and I land on my chest. You know, I have my rifle. I land on my on my chest on this rifle, and then uh, they they quickly land on the ground and they start pouring out. I didn't even see that part. That was behind me, but I stood up like an idiot on this helipad. You know, in 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 incoming fire. You know. And uh, my squad leader came behind me, and he hit me in the back with the weapon and knocked me onto the ground again. And so then he yells in my face, you know, lots of expletives, which I'll save you from, but, but crawl to the sandbags. And so I look forward, and I see these sandbags, and they're being hit, and they're bouncing towards me. And, and that was probably, um, despite all of the scary things I've been through in my life well after that, I can't remember a time I, I remember being more afraid. I was afraid, for sure. And so, uh, yeah, I crawled to these sandbags, and, um, and we, we were, f- were firing, and I didn't even know what I was shooting at. I mean, I, I, I had moments where I froze. Uh, it's, it's, you never know how that first time is going to come. You, don't, you, don't, you never know how it is. You know, there's a saying that says, uh, you know, all plans fail at first contact. <laughs> and, and that was certainly true for me. That was certainly true for me. Uh, a funny a funny ending to that story is at one point my weapon jammed and I couldn't get it to work. And so I was trying to figure it out and my squad leader had noticed it, I guess, apparently during the fight because he had so seasoned that he could fight and then still keep his eyes on his soldiers and assess them afterwards, right? And so, uh, which is a sign of a great leader, by the way. And uh, after the fight, um, I, I, he came up to me and he was like, and, by, and when I mean by after the fight, I mean like in the recess of the fight. <laughs> after we got out of there and then and, and re, re, refitted and stuff, um, he says, what happened? And I said, I, I couldn't, my weapon jammed. I couldn't figure it out. And he goes, is that what happened? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you need some situational awareness. To which I looked at him and I was confused. And then he points at my weapon. When I looked at the weapon, you know, there are these acronyms, sports, you know, all these ways to like, you know, slap, pull, observe, you know, release. And it's like ways to p- perform a, a, a check on your weapon to make sure it's functioning right, which I did. And it still wouldn't work. Then I looked at my magazine, and there was a round that went right through my magazine. Well, Kelly, my, my rifle's up on my face like this. Oh my so God. that round passed through the magazine at some point, and, and it, was, it jammed with the magazine. So I was trying to reload this broken magazine, right? And, uh, and, and now, as, a, as an experienced veteran, I would just eject that magazine. Even if I didn't notice the hole, it wasn't working. I'd eject the magazine, and I'd switch a new one. But, you know, I froze up. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and uh, yeah, it was a valuable lesson for me that I wasn't calm and I needed to be calm because calm brings precision. So on the next, on the, on the next mission that you go, does that engage right away or is it a progression? Because there was a, I believe it was on your fourth or fifth mission mm-hmm. where you were Australian repelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. In the second, third, was it the fifth mission that that you were? That that was the fourth. That was the fourth. Okay, so in the second and third one, have you calmed yourself a little bit, or are you still kind of? I mean, because I wouldn't be calm in second and third. I, I mean, bullet comes through the magazine, like, uh, I mean. Well, I I would say that that's definitely a, um, definitely something that we're that we're all still working on. You know, okay. there's no there's no such thing as a perfect calm. Um, there are circumstances where even now. Uh, as a veteran, a combat veteran, there are things that I would certainly, I would certainly lose my, lose my composure over. Uh, how, however, what I will say is that that first mission, it, we were under fire for weeks. It took us like two weeks to get out of there. So, and and a lot of the boys who were stuck in in that valley, um, they uh, it was nonstop fighting for like two weeks. And so, yeah, I would say by the end of that two weeks, um, I felt pretty confident in my ability to handle my weapon. Okay. 
Um, I, I, I saw things in, in my leadership that were inspiring mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, and I modeled myself after them. And so by what, my were, second, what were some of those things? What were some of the things that you saw your leadership doing and specifically that you started to say, Oh wow. I mean, that's what I want to embody. Well, first of all, uh, I would say, um, you know, one of the core principles of, of leadership in, in my mind and, and something that I, t- I talk a lot about to, to a lot of military, senior and junior alike, in order to be a good leader, you have to genuinely care. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a difficult thing to do because sometimes your subordinates aren't respectful. Sometimes your subordinates don't care about you. But you have to care for your subordinates. And you have to find that genuine care. And, and the way that, that I've done that in my past is, and the way that I saw it, observed it from my leaders, is they would talk to me. They would sit down with me and ask me questions about my life, about my family, about my hobbies. They would learn me. And, uh, and that's something that we don't do. And that's something I, I, I've already applauded you for here, is that you're an inquisitive man, that you truly know your friends. And so I, I don't necessarily just mean in, in military, but as leaders, we have to get to know the people who are serving with us or working with us, working for us. If we can do that, then we can find some human traits in them that we can respect. And when we truly care about them, then even in the most extreme situations, like, like fighting for your life in a, in a place that you don't, you're not aware of, you don't know how many combatants are out in the field, but you can still look over and spot that one of your soldiers has a malfunctioning weapon due to a hole in the magazine. I don't know how we saw that. At the time, I had no idea how we saw that. He saw that because he cared for his people, because he was looking left and right. Are people hit? Is everything okay? How's mag- how ammunition going? How's everyone doing? Assessing. And he was looking for ways to lead us out of that situation. You know, he was looking for, while engaged in combat, he was looking for the next step. And that's another quality of a leader is, well, you know, don't be so absorbed in the moment that you cannot look for the next step. Because if you did your job right, you train the people that work with you and for you to take care of the situation at hand. You need to look for the next step. Where do you go from there? And, and, and that's another, another trait that I learned from, from um, this individual and two others in my career. What was the next one on the battlefield or when, in, when you guys were engaged? What was the next thing that you saw after the, you know, your... your your guy, your leader, sees the bullet and make sure you're okay. What's another time in combat that you saw a leadership trait that just blew your mind that a person would, that they would, they would have that type of care? There was a situation, there was a situation where we had a, we were kind of pinned down. And, and, and I, I use that term loosely when I say pinned down. But uh, he stood up. He said, okay, so we're, we're moving to this area over here. We were repositioning, and we were getting ready to, to, to split the group and to, and to pincer them, right? And so, so uh, we, we, we applied our, our fire to help, you know, like it cover fire. So, we, you know, we have people kind of pop up, spray the area down, and then we start making our movements. Well, the, the, the problem was is the next piece of cover was, was a decent amount of ways away. It was probably 50 yards, which is, which is quite, a, quite a run. Okay? Mm-hmm. It was a really unfortunate location we were pinned down at and uh so he was the one to make the run and and he did so and i asked him later on you know i i I wouldn't say i asked him i almost questioned him right like why why did you why did you make he wasn't even the fastest you know he wasn't the fastest and 
and and he was the one in charge. I said, why did you make that run? And he said that the run was so dangerous and that he had faith in the second command enough that he didn't want to make someone else make that risk. He was he had a Hail Mary and he took that Hail Mary and it paid off. Um, but he was not going to ask someone else to do something that he wasn't willing to do. And so um, that was another thing that that someone taught me that that I've I've in, I've worked my best in my life to embody. I will never do some I'll never ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do. Even if I'm not capable of doing it, I'm not if I'm not willing to do it, I will not ask a subordinate to do that. I'll work together with them, I'll work hand in hand to figure that out, but not ask them to do it. What was some God moments that you had and and when I say a God moment, I mean, I think you understand that, but for people listening or watching, that God moment that you're like, there's no way that I could have got out of this. There's no way that our crew could have got out of this without something stepping in. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's there's a many many moments that come to mind. Um, many moments that come to mind when you say that. Um, You know, I, I said earlier, I talked about how you, you learn to just trust and rely on each other. And it becomes, you get to know each other so well. And you, you live together, you, you, you train together, you eat together, you sleep in the same close, confined quarters. And for long periods of time, you, you learn each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I, I would say that in most situations, in almost all combats I've been in, I stopped and thought, man, that could have went a whole different way. But it didn't. I, I relied on, on training, relied on my friends. Mm -hmm. They relied on, on me. And, um, and I know you're looking for a specific, a specific uh, time. Um, and, and I can tell you, Kelly, that, that that's just almost too, too many times to count. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is no science to fighting, not like that. Uh, there's, there's, it's like chess, you know, but, but chess is, is not a good representation in some ways because chess has a limited amount of moves. There's, there's a, there's a science to it because it's so narrow, but the human mind is not a chessboard. The human mind is, it's the difference between binary and, and, um, binary and, uh, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, uh, quantum, Right. So, so when you're looking at the idea of quantum, it's, it's a spectrum, and that's how we think. We think on a spectrum. And so there's, there's infinite variables to the situation. And every time you have another human, it's another infinite variable situation. And so you're trying to predict how your friends will act, how the enemy will act, and you don't even know them. You have an idea about your friends. You have an idea, a close idea. But, but it's just, it's, there's innumerous, innumerous variables. And, and you, after, at the end of it, whether it went good or bad, the combat, you're left sitting there thinking, could I have done something better? Was there a better route? You know, did it, did it have to go down like that? Or, on, or, or um, why did that work? <laughs> how did nobody, how did, how did that work as flawlessly as it did? Because you see, you see the issues. You know, it's like, a, in this way, it's very much like sports. You say, oh, you know, you know, he dropped the ball on that, on, that, on that pass, and luckily we got it, and, you know, we were playing super sloppy. Luckily we pulled through. 
You know, it's like that's you end up leaving there saying, man, that was we were sloppy, guys. Like, let's clean that up. <laughs> we got lucky this time. We're not going to do that again. You know, <laughs> how, how do you end up releasing it? Like, because we were talking on the way back on the way back from Home Depot. Uh, I know that's why you were out trying to talk to those guys and negotiate with them with them to uh, to hire them onto some people. I'm joking <laughs> with you. Um <laughs> you didn't know where I was going with that. No, I was like, oh. um, but we were talking then and, and when you have these, I mean, intense things that I'm not saying they become normal to you, but I mean, it, it, it's become a part of your lifestyle. How do you release it? Like, where do you let it go? Or you don't, <laughs> you don't, um, it's trauma, it's grief, and, and you, you, you carry grief with you always, and you find ways to deal with it, to understand it. You know, I, I, there's an analogy about waves of grief, and, and stop me if you've heard this, but the analogy is something like, um, grief is like a shipwreck, and when, when the shipwreck happens, when the, fir- the ship first wrecks, you're, you're in the waves of this grief, and the waves are 100 feet tall, and they come crashing over you every three seconds, and you're just holding on to some piece of the shipwreck just to stay afloat, to stay alive. And, and if you can hold on long enough, then eventually you get pushed further from the shipwreck, of the, further from the incident of grief, and then the waves are 80 feet tall, and then they're 50 feet tall. And, and then eventually the waves start, stop coming as frequent. They start becoming, you know every day, every week, every month. And then further as you get away from the grief and, and, and you just survive the shipwreck, the waves will still come. They'll always come. And they'll be surrounded by a birthday, a, a baseball. Um, it'll be a street corner. It'll be um, a name. And, 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 and these triggers will happen, and this wave of grief will crash over you again. Um, but you just hold on, you know, you, you learn the triggers, you understand the things that, that bring you the pain and, and ultimately the understanding that, that all of these, this painful things in life that happen, they're, they're a testament to, to your humanity or your love. If you lost somebody, you know, it's like, they're like scars on your heart. And, and the, the mere existence of that grief is a demonstration of the humanity and the love that you can receive and give back. Merrick, if you got to sit down with God and ask him three questions and he had to answer and he would answer immediately, what would those questions be? Whoa, that is a heavy question. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think the first question, I think the first question is, why are we here? Right. Um, was there a, a design? Was there original design for our existence, or, or is it, is it individually based? Do we all have individual purposes to fit a puzzle, or are we all striving for the same goal? You know, and and is there a difference between those two things when you think about it? I mean, maybe we're all playing our part like a special forces team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's something that that I that I I, I would just. I think about often why are we here, and I'm sure that's that's and that's not unique to me. I think that's a lot of people. But uh, the the I think the second question would be something like, um, um, 
the definition of love, I think is something that, that I, I, I struggle with because to me, and I don't know if this feels different to other people and, but to me, love takes so many different forms. And we, you know, I I say, I say to you, I, I love you, brother. I say to many of my friends and, and to me, it all kind of feels the same. You know, different biological reactions to the situations, obviously, <laughs> but but there's there's this uh, there's this question that I often think about, like like what differs between connections between people, right? How does that alter us, and how, what's different about that? Um, I don't even know if that makes any sense. Yeah, that it does. Sense to you right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so that that's something I, I often think about. For a long time, I thought to myself, um, I don't even know if I'm capable of love, and that was a real question. And I think that that's a question that a lot of people ask themselves, especially young men, mm-hmm. um, very early on in their lives. Like, what is love? You know, it's we're not we're not super keen on our emotions. We don't know how to handle that, and, and we feel this draw towards so many people in our lives. And and at some point. That, that love becomes less of an emotion and more of a, a responsibility that you take on. And, and it's like, when I love someone, I want to make their life better, no matter what it takes. Mm. I want to just, I want to I wanna take their suffering. If I can absorb it, I will. If I can, if I can provide something for them, I will. If I can aid them in their life, help give them meaning, help calm them down, help make them happy, I want to do those things. And, and, and there's no real degree to that. Now there's priorities to that, right? Like, like, uh, I, I, the way that I love you is no different than the way that I love my family, but I, but my family relies on me Im- immediately. And so I have to prioritize that obviously, mm-hmm. but, but the feeling and the draw and the desire, it's, it's really no different. And, and so uh, that, that to me, it's, it's a question that I have. Because if, you know, for a divine maker, I would be curious to know if there was an exact design to that concept. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, in, in a third question, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, there's a, there was a situation in my life where I, where I lost somebody very close to me. And, um, and I, I often wonder... Um, uh, I, I guess why, you know, why, uh, why them and not me or why me and not them, you know what I mean? And so that's something that I, that I deal with often, you know, that's been kind of the, to get real for a moment, that's been kind of the, uh, the crux of my, uh, my existence since, since 2016, 2017, kind of dealing with that and, and finding understanding and trying to find some sort of peace in my life to, to um to remedy that what's helped you with it uh you know i i I did a lot of counseling um every uh it's it's in february every february i uh i go through this period of mourning and i let myself just mourn i don't have the luxury uh, most days or weeks to deal with it as much as i think about it and so I, i think about it comes to my mind i give it a second of time and 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 then if it gets too much, then I'll seek counseling. I've, I I see counselors like almost weekly during that period, and I'll talk to them, you know, for for a few months and leading up to it, and just after it and stuff, and and that helps. Um, but you get to a point where where grief is not just grief, but it's uh, it's guilt, and guilt is guilt is a much harder thing to get past. 
than just simple grief. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess what I've, I've worked hard to get myself under control. Look, you know, I, I heard a, I heard a, uh, this, this Facebook thing a, a long time ago. It must be true then. I, I, oh, it certainly is. Cause everything <laughs> on the internet is true, especially on Facebook, right? That's where I get my news. It's fantastic. Um, it was a story and, and it's it certainly a fake story as almost everything is right. But the, in this story, uh, there's this Marine. Okay. And, and he's inside of a diner and he's sitting down with his family and this waitress walks by and she trips and she drops a, 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 a platter with a bunch of silverware on it. The silverware hits the, the ground, makes a huge ruckus next to this Marine. He stands up in this, in the story, he stands up and he grabs a knife and he puts this knife to her throat and he like holds her and puts the knife to her throat. And then he catches himself. He calms down. He drops the knife and he says, I'm sorry, everybody. It's okay. I'm a U.S. Marine. And then in the story, everybody stands up and applauds. That's unacceptable. We have this idea and this concept in life, in society right now, that, that, that our traumas justify our reactions. And, and we owe it more to the people in our lives than to say, hey, look, this is just how I am. That's, 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 that's unacceptable. I could be, I, I had a lot of anger in 2017. I had a lot of uh, emotional instability. I, I was uh, extremely introverted. I, I was hurt and I, and I didn't have any place to really go with those emotions. And so I didn't go any place with those emotions. And then slowly but surely I tore apart my relationships. And I, and because I said, Hey, look, I have this very real trauma. Deal with it. This is just what I'm going through. And and ultimately, I, I hurt a lot of people that I cared about. And so we owe it to the people in our lives to work on our traumas, to work on our trouble. It's, it's not acceptable to just say, this is, my, this is my story, this is my pain, and you have to live with that. Because if you do that, the people who are best in your life, they have their own traumas. They can't, they can't coach you through yours. That's, that's, a, that's a road that, that they'll be there for you if they can be. But they can't walk that path for you, man. You have to walk that path on yourself by your own. You have to walk that path. And if you need someone to lean on, if you got the right people in life, they'll, they'll let you lean on them. And they'll even drag you if they can for as long as they can, but it can't be forever. You have to want to walk that path yourself. And that's how you build and forge strong relationships. What about the people without the resources? Like when you come out and you have, you have some, the trauma... You've been a very smart man. You're, you're, in, you're elite in your craft. What about the kid who comes out of the military? Maybe they've been in four or five years or whatever it is. They, they experience a, a trauma, and they feel like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. I don't have the resources to be able to get this. What does that kid do? Well, well, first of all, there's a there's a plethora of resources for um, for military and for for trauma victims and and uh, I mean they're all over the place. I mean, especially military. That's one thing that the U.S. government's done a very good job at is is putting the resources for those individuals out there. You know, if, and if you're if you're one of those people who are watching the show right now and you're going through something like that, then then call the VA. I know the VA has got a bad rep, but man, let me tell you, the VA has really changed my life mm. in a lot of positive ways. And so I don't think they get enough credit and a lot of enough thanks for everything that they do and everything that they've done. But, but uh, if, if you're talking more about what direction do you go with that when you have no resources, if all you can turn to is, is, is strangers in, in, in organizations that are there to help you, 
because you have no friends, well, then, then the solution is to, and, and this might sound callous, but it's to become better. That the thing about life is that you bring what you give into the world. So if you're in a spot where you're, you're troubled and you're hurting and you're, you're in pain, you're in, you're in grief, you're, you have guilt, guilt about whatever it is that you have in your life or have or haven't done, um, then you need to hold on to that piece of that shipwreck for a while. Let that ride. Start using your time to, to better your life. Become more educated. Um, find a, tra- a, cra- a craft, a hobby. Um, develop some part of your life. Hit the gym. You know, craft a physique. Somewhere you'll find a new passion. And when you are passionate, people are drawn to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that firsthand. When you are passionate, people will come to you. And, and you don't have to, it, like, like many people out there who are searching for love right now in an extremely toxic environment, dating culture, um, <laughs> for those people, it, focus on building yourself to the best you can. And then what you'll find is people will gravitate to you and, and when that happens, you're more genuinely yourself. You, you, you provide something. You are something. And people will recognize that. And they will come to you because, because you're somebody worth knowing. And so, so if you're grieving right now, if you're lost and you have no resources, my answer to you is become somebody worth knowing. And, and those problems will become a lot lighter. A thing that I admire, well, there's so many things that I admire about you, but one of the million that I do <laughs> is a lot of times when people come out of the structure that you were in as far as being in the military and especially a heightened structure like you did with special, special ops, um, they thirst for that, they miss it, and sometimes they kind of flounder when they get out. You actually took the principles that you had or that you learned in in special ops and have applied them in very high level business in real estate in purchasing uh, businesses and investing can you talk to that and some of the things that were the parallels that you were like oh wow okay i was in the field or we were you know we were in uh, we were engaged as you say in battle and now I'm engaged in battle in a negotiation to be able to take down this this uh, you know this real estate deal. I'm, um, what would you call it? The uh, advanced interrogating um, somebody, and now I'm using the similar techniques when I'm going into a business deal. And these people don't know what's about to hit them. Right? Can you talk to those things and let us behind the curtain of it? Because it's fascinating to me because when you were telling me about the advanced interrogation, interrogation stuff, I was like, man, I know my brother is using that when he's negotiating a deal for a, an apartment complex or for a business. Well, well, I just want to be clear about uh, the difference between enhanced interrogation and advanced ter- advanced <laughs> interrogation. Enhanced interrogations against the Geneva Convention. I want to make that very clear. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get people in trouble. Hey, guys, I, 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 I want to do the disclaimer. I learn these things, and then I talk to my buddy about these things. So I... And I'm, uh, you know, but I, I, I just want you. <laughs> so I'm going to get him in trouble, but we will make sure. Okay, so oh, you're advanced right, yeah. interrogation is against the Geneva Convention. Enhanced interrogation. Enhanced. Enhanced, Okay, right. but interrogation is not. Of course not. Okay, no. of course no. not. Nope, that's what we do. But, but so to, to answer your question, um, so uh, there's, a, there's a level of focus 
that 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 above all else needs to be maintained when you're um, in, in my field, in any field, really. I mean, any field at all. There's a level of focus that that's that's keen, and, and so I, I guess I, I focus in on on what I want, right? So, and what that might be, it starts off something vague. So it might start off something along the lines of, well, I would like to build my uh, my um, monthly income. Right. And so that's what I'll think. Okay. So, so how do I obtain that? And then I narrow that down to a pinpoint of, 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 of about what I want to be doing to increase that income. And then after that, I lean on my friends and I say, what's out there right now? What do you know? What do you know that's out there? And then somebody like Tony or, you know, Tony Torres or, or one of many other friends that I have will come to me you know, and they'll say, hey, I have this going on. And, and I think that's a great thing. And you should, you should take a look at that. And then, and then I do. And then which brings me to, my, to one of my next ideas is that don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Um, and, and you touched on this earlier, and I've heard you talk about it before on some of your other podcasts. But we're, we're in a different world. We're in a, a more complex world as far as finances go. You know, in the 1950s, the, the value of the dollar has dropped by 50% since the 1950s. But the problem is, is so that means that we're essentially making twice the money we were making in the 50s. The problem is, is that housing cost and housing market now were 900 times or 900% what it was back then. So, so that that's means nine times. That nine times. So that means that it's approximately four to five times harder to own a house than it was for our grandparents. And so, and so now take that same concept and apply that astronomically towards like commercial real estate or businesses. You know, it used to be you can buy a business for, for one twentieth of what you can buy a business now with the same, you know, same equation of income. So it's it's a complex time to 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 be building wealth and it's more complicated than it's ever been. And and what I would say is that uh, what's what's kind of made me successful is is knowing that I, I rely on on other people that have skills that I don't. Um, and and my objective is to build my knowledge from their source of knowledge and, and also to share my knowledge with their, with their source, right? And so, so we combined our knowledge together and, you know, it's, it's much easier to hunt a mammoth in a group than it is alone. Okay, so, so if for those of you watching and listening, I want you to stop the play. Stop it right now. And I want you to rewind a little bit. Well, you'll just scrub it. Like I call it rewind because I'm <laughs> old school. But scrub it back. You just described a special ops team. Yeah. Like yeah. to the T. Yeah. But you weren't talking about special ops. You were talking about business. That's right. And because you, you said like, we have a medic and I don't have to worry about being the medic. That's what you said. Yep. I rely on other people's intelligence to be able to make sure. And I draw off that. You knew that you were doing that, though. You knew that you were taking me down that. And you were like, is this dude going to, I mean. Oh, I knew you always catch everything. But it's, You're it's, a smart guy. No, right? but it's, 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 it's unbelievable to be able to see it. And then when you said, like, I have this, like, vague um, objective. And then I narrowly focus it in. How's that any different from you having an objective in a country and then you narrow it down to maybe a house or a complex that you have to go in and get your target. It's, it's, it's the exact same. You know, it rolls into the idea that you, first of all, identify a mission, a, a problem set, 
And, and, and that problem set for me in my example was a lack of monthly income. So that's the problem set. And so from there, I devise a strategy or a mission that will replace that income, that will get me that income. And then on a t as a team, you work on it. Now, the, the, the benefit that you have in business that you don't have in combat is the internet, right? Internet's not going to help you in combat, I promise you that. Pull out your <laughs> cell phone and see how that goes for you. It's not going to pan out. <laughs> but, but, but in business, uh, I, I, I very often, as, as all of my business partners uh, have, have, have figured out or discovered, um, I am not shy to say, I have no idea. <laughs> mm. But I will. But I will have an idea. Give me a minute. Um, I'll get back to you, you know, later this week. And I, I will hit the research. Man, I'll pull up my phone. I'll be sitting on the couch, you know, and, um, and, and, and researching stuff. And my girlfriend's like, hey, 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 you know, put that away for now. And I'm like, ah, sorry. You know, that, that's something that, that you've talked about before, Kelly, that, that, uh, that I think can't be understated is, is uh, I, I, I will sometimes get so lost in my objective that, uh, that I forget about the things that kind of matter to me, you know, that like, why am I doing it all? Why am I building so much wealth? You know, it's to take care of the people that I love. Well, that becomes really hard when you're chasing them away because all you're doing is building wealth, right? <laughs> and, and, it's, it's, <laughs> and, that, and that same thing is, is true for, for soldiers of all kinds, you know. It's like we, we get so lost in the job, so lost in the mission, and we neglect our families. And, and so, you know, we, we can never get so lost that we forget the objective and the old overall objective is to take care of your take care of your family, take care of your loved ones, you know, take care of the U.S. Whatever <laughs> that is. Merrick, one of my favorite stories that my pops used to tell me is I, I we used to ask him. He, he used to fight a lot too when he was a kid, and um, and I said, Pop, like, how was it fighting? And he was like, uh, he said, Son, um, I used to have to chop wood. I used to have to haul the wood. We didn't have electricity. Um, we had to, you know, pick cherries. We had to do all these things. And while I was out chopping wood, most of these kids I went to high school with were watching TV. He said, while I was chopping wood or carrying wood, they were maybe going to the gym once a week and they were just playing around with these weights. But I was carrying things. And a lot of times I was getting in fights with my dad, who was a, you know, his dad, which was a, 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 an adult, and he said, so by the time these boys, that's what he called them, by the time these boys wanted to fight, I had been chopping wood. They had been watching TV. I had been uh, hauling wood. They had been just playing around with weights. He said, so when it was come time to fight, it wasn't even a fight because my advantage was at such a high level, I had already killed some lions. I had killed some bears. So this giant standing in front of me, I had no problem with because this was a kid and I was fighting adults. The reason why I say that, what advantage, and I think it's unfair, I'm joking with you, <laughs> but what unfair advantage do you have in business because you've been in combat? Discipline. Discipline. And, and any successful businessman will, will have the same mindset. So, so your father, your father, he, he worked hard. He kept his mind to task and he didn't let the, 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 the immediate pleasures of playing games or, 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 or riding a bike instead of taking care of responsibilities. He knew he had responsibilities and, and the family relied on, on him presumably, you know, to, 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 to finish these responsibilities. And so he had a whole lot of discipline and, um, and right now, especially we're moving away from that in society, you know, 
accountability and discipline. And that's something that we look to in, in, in our older generation of, of people that we have left in our lives to kind of hand that down. But, but I would say one of the things that, that makes me successful is, is my ability to adapt to new environments and the fact that I will learn the trade. I may not know it right away, and I rely on the people around me, and we work together to form something. You know, I bring something to the table, they bring something to the table, and we come together, and, and I will learn it, though. And it's because, uh, it's not just because I, I, I have to, it's not just because, um, you know, that, that, it, that the business requires that, but it's because I want to. I have a desire to be better every day. You know, and there's there's this concept called the one percent rule that that Jordan Peterson talks about from time to time, and and it's tried to be one percent better to tomorrow than you are today, and uh, and you know um, when you're as great as a guy like you, you know one percent's a whole lot. One percent <laughs> of ten million is a lot, people. <laughs> what but, what do you do? Like, what do you do to foster discipline? Like a person listening right now is like, I mean, everybody's inspired by you. I've been around you, and I'm like, man. I need to go to the gym. That's why I don't need to hang out with you because I don't want to have to go to the gym every day. And so like, I'll, but I'll hang out and I'll be like, Merrick goes to the gym. So that means I don't have to go because he's my friend and he goes. So that's for both of us. That's what I think in my head. But like, how can a person right now that's listening or watching, what can they do right now to start to foster discipline in their life? Escape comfort. So often we're seeking comfort in our lives and we have this idea that comfort is the end destination. What we want in our lives is comfort and we seek that. But we think that getting comfort means maintaining comfort and that's not the case. It's not the case at all. If you, if you want comfort at the end of your life, then you need to be willing to sacrifice it now. That means every time I, I there's very often, you know, I do this thing in my life where it's like, oh man, whatever that, sounds whatever that is I have to do that sounds horrible <sighs> I guess I'm gonna go do it now because I just got it in my mind that like oh I don't want to do that and the second I say that I'm like well now I'm gonna go do it I don't want to do it but I'm gonna get up now because I don't want to do it and I'm gonna go do whatever that is you know um, and, and there's a fine line between allowing yourself time to recoup and relax and 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 taking care of responsibilities and so yeah uh, sometimes um, uh, I'll turn the shower on ice cold. I'll take an ice cold shower. And, and why? Well, because, uh, every day of my life prior to 2020 was, was hot. I was too hot or too cold or it was just miserable. But you know, since 2020, it's been pretty comfortable. So sometimes I just need an ice cold shock in the morning <laughs> to just wake me up and say, man, that was terrible. Well, I know I can deal with that. Right. And so, yeah, get out of comfort because if you were trying to put yourself in comfort now, expecting comfort always, then you will not find comfort at the end of that road. You will only find more work to stay comfortable. But if you sacrifice now for a greater tomorrow, your comfort will be there at the end of that road. And, and yeah, uh, you know, it's, that's, that goes for a lot saying things like, um, you know, um, don't buy that car that just a little bit out of your price range. Don't buy it, you know, or that it makes it a little tight. Why do you need that car right now? You know, do you want to drive that that super cool car when you're 21 and and then be, you know, drowning in debt until you're 35, you know, trying to pay that off and then incurring more debt and more debt and more debt? Or do you just want to drive that hoopty while it's still acceptable to drive a hoopty and drive that Jaguar when you're 35? <laughs> right? So 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 money like 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 problems will 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 snowball positively and negatively. That money will become more money or it will become more debt. So so suffer now and, and excel later. 
Merrick, a conversation that we had, I keep going back to like Home Depot and, and stuff. <laughs> we went on the trek there. All the magic happens at Home Depot. It was Kelly. it was awesome, <laughs> man. Um, I mean, we should have stopped by Target. It was across the way. We could have got your paycheck. Um, we kind of got that back for you. Or arrested. Yeah, <laughs> either or. Um, but we were, we were talking about something where... A lot of times when people are in in environments, especially like yourself, you you know, you're in uh, Eastern Europe, you're in the Middle East and stuff like that. And sometimes when people uh, are around, like I've had police officer friends that they've been in certain environments and it's caused them to be hardened towards a a specific. And you gave me a, a different perspective, you know, because... You know, here I am thinking, like, I'll watch a movie and I'll see some, you know, see a, a movie about war and that that country that's going against the U.S. Like, I remember watching Rocky Four, and I was like, you know, the it was like the in 85 or 86 or whenever it was, and it was like the height of, like, the, the Cold War <laughs> and, you know, it was Russia against the United States, and I was like, get them, Rocky, you know, all the stuff. But then you actually humanized it. You ruined it for me because then I had to think about it in I a different that. way. Can you take us to that place and help me to understand, like, because I kept wanting you to just go on my side, Merrick, today. I wanted you to be my friend, but you weren't my friend today. You were like, no, you need to think about your thinking, Kelly. You need to be a better person. I was like, I don't want to be a better person. I just want to judge people today, uh, you know, Merrick. But you gave it to me. It was unbelievable. Can you share it, man? Sure, Yeah. So, so the, the topic that we were discussing was, was about, um, if I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but you, about, about how, how to uh, withstand your anger, how to withstand your anger in, in just, how to withstand your justified anger, right? And so, so it, it, it was, it's common that in conflicts, especially with different countries or different cultures, um, or, or even, you know, neighborhood conflicts, family conflicts, anything, that there, there's this resentment that grows and, and it, and it, and it, encapsulates the culture or the country or the neighborhood or a family or something, you know, it encapsulates. And it's very easy to build this resentment and, and it becomes, it festers, it festers. And, and, and it's especially hard when it's justified, mm-hmm. right? And so, or when you believe it's justified, whether it is or it's not. For me, and, and I'll take it back to just a, a basic, a basic example, you know, let's talk about um, the difference between a fundamentalist um, like t- like different types of what what the U.S. is classified like uh, concerns in the Middle East terrorism type things. It comes down from fundamentalist, nationalist, and then like a common criminal, and and the mentality for the many of the U.S. and a lot of people is, is they believe that everyone's running around like as a fundamentalist. Everyone has this religious ideology in the Middle East that that, that governs the terrorist, you know, the, the violence out there, and and that's just not the case. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. You have the the fundamentalists who are who are um, who are religious extremists who 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 have bastardized the word, the text of the Quran, and uh, and they use it for violent means. They're intelligent. They're cunning. They're they're charismatic. They're they're hi- highly successful individuals. Very manipulative individuals. I mean, they're they're. I've met many of them and had sat in close quarters and thought, wow, this guy's really cool. And I know that sounds strange, but that's that's the mastery of, of these individuals. But by and large, the rest of the enemy combatants that we deal out there or the terrorist type groups, they're common criminals. They just want to feed their families. Mm. And and so if we consider the culture 
as an enemy or, or something that's, that's larger than the enemy and don't consider the motivation behind it, then we're, 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 we're misunderstanding the crime. Mm. So in, 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 a, in an example, if someone were to, to um, steal something of great import, you know, great importance from, from someone, then they say, oh, you know, I just want to cause destruction on this individual. And, and, and if it was illegal, if they victimized you in some way, then it's justified. I get it. I get your anger, and you're permitted to have your anger. You should be angry. You know, to say that you're not angry would, would be a, a big sign of weakness. You know, it's like, well, that doesn't make you angry when you get victimized, you're not angry. The, 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 the answer is you should be. But there's great power in controlling that anger. And part of that is understanding the people that commit the crime. You humanize them. Well, you know, so maybe they, they, stole, they stole your, um, you know, your car, okay? Daughter's e-bike. Or maybe it was your daughter's e-bike. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you know you're, you're, a, you're, you're a successful guy and, 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 you know, someone could be successful. And, and, and that's, a huge, that's a huge loss, you know? That's, it's unfair. You know, you're like in your example, you know, your daughter worked so hard for that e-bike and, and to have that loss, that's just, that's egregious. That's, that's criminal and, and net, literally criminal, <laughs> but we automatically go to the worst possible outcome in our minds that it's just some guy, he's going to steal it and sell it on eBay or, you know, or sell it to sell it, you know, on, on Facebook marketplace, something. And maybe that's true. Maybe it is, but maybe he stole it because he wants to give it to his, his nephew. And that's like a world changing thing because he can't afford the bike. It doesn't make it okay. It's still a crime. But when you look at it from that perspective, then it's easier to not just say they're all criminals. I hate them. It's easier to say, I don't, it's easier not to say, I want to, I want to, I want to beat that dude with a bat. When you look at it from that, it's like, I get it. It's wrong and you should be punished for it, but I get it. I don't hate you for it. And, and that's, that's how we avoid the hatred that comes with such conflict, especially when it's across cultural or, or national lines. You broke it down to where the, you gave me a scenario as far as like, um, you know, here's, here's a guy in the country, uh, you know, and this extremist uh, group comes and says, hey, let me bury this in your backyard. Take us through this scenario because when you said that too, like I don't want to be your friend anymore when you said it, Merrick. <laughs> uh, I'm joking with you. But it was just like, I mean, because you made me think. And then you, like, I again wanted to, and for those of you out there listening, he was not talking about a hypothetical somebody wanting to take a bat to someone's knees. That was me. I was mad. And my daughter got her bike stolen, her electric bike that she saved up for, got it stolen out of our garage just the other day. And I was telling America, I was like, I wanted to go and inflict pain. Now, I am not a fighter at all. But I literally was like, I'm going to protect my house. I'm going to sit in the street with a bat and wait for this dude. Now, I probably wouldn't want to meet the dude. You know what I'm saying? But I was saying that. And then you gave me that. And I was like, wow, you made me think about it. But then this bury, bury the stuff in the backyard like really changed, like it changed my heart today. And can, can you share that? Because I think it, it was awesome. Sure, yeah. So, so all, um, all, all activity, all criminal activity, all violent activity, it starts somewhere, right? It's a slow progression. 
And, and especially for, you know, most common criminals, and, and I'll give you an example, a specific example of the one that you're, you're talking about. There was a guy that I, that I had the... So this was a real story that you were... Is, yeah. I thought you were yeah. giving me a parable. No, no. I, I love you, Merrick, because Merrick, I, I want to tell you, everyone out there listening and watching, I have heard for since I've known Merrick, like he, I knew he was going to be on the podcast. I was so excited. And I keep getting calls. Tony, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Tony is like, yo, there's going to be things that he can't say to you. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'll be fine. And then even at dinner, I had asked some questions. He was like, I can't tell you, but, and then we went on. But I thought you were giving me a parable. You were giving me a real story, a real Merrick yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, a real, a real type of situation. A real situation, like a hypothetical. A hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical. It. Hypothetical situation. Okay. Uh, but so there's a there's an individual, okay? And so, so somebody approaches him, a criminal, and says, hey, uh, you know, in this situation, this person is, is hungry. He's in a poor country. Um, he has nothing to his name. He's got he's got seven daughters, and he's trying to trying to take care of them, and one son who's sick, right? And so he he can't support himself. He's trying his best, but he's struggling to support himself. And so someone comes to him one day and says, "Hey, I have an idea. Let me take care of your financial troubles. At least give you enough to make food. All you have to do is take these weapons here and then bury them in your backyard. That's it. Nothing more." And then you think to yourself, well, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, I don't have to do anything with it. So, yeah, I'm supporting someone who I think is probably pretty bad. But, you know, that's all I have to do. I mean, I can't, make the, I can't take care of my family. I can't do it. So I, I'm going to do what it takes to take care of the people I love. And as I've said before, it's, an, it's, a, it's a biological nature. It's in our nature to, to do that as men. And so uh, in this scenario, he does that. And then six months down the road, no, no issues. Um, so this guy returns and he says, hey, I have an idea. How about twice that money? And all you have to do is go wait out on the street corner and prepare, f- prepare to see, you know, these bad guys that we don't like. And then just give us a phone call and let us know they're coming. And then and then this guy would say something like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. What are you going to do to them? And he says, oh, no, nothing. Don't worry about it. It's, we're not going to do anything bad. We just don't want any of our people to get hurt. So we just, we want to make sure they don't aggress us. And you think to yourself, well, you know, I want to believe that and it's going to help my family. Maybe we can fix part of the house that's collapsing. You know, we don't have to worry about food anymore, but may, but our house, our, it's not enough to take care of our shelter. You know, the sun is hot. The, the, the winds are strong. The sand is sharp, you know? So, okay. Yeah. I'll do that. Sure. And so, so you go out and you do that, this hypothetical guy. Then about a year later, after he continues doing that, the guy shows up and says, Hey, I have an idea. I will triple that money enough to buy you a new house to take care of all of your daughter's weddings, to take care of your, to provide land for your sons. All you have to do is just go drop this backpack off at that embassy over there. And so now you say, no, 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 wait a second. No, that's not in the cards. And he says, oh, it's not? Well, you have weapons in your backyard. You don't have a choice now. You're in this. And so now you're in it. So do you choose to drop that backpack off where he asked you to? Or do you choose to confront this powerful, scary individual? So you convince yourself that you have to do what you must. You drop the backpack off, and so begins your life of crime. And that's it. 
And so it starts somewhere. It's not, it's not this, it's not this, this decision that we consciously make and say, I want to be a bad guy. It comes from, and from necessity, typically speaking, you know, and, and for the very few, it's, it's a, it's a, a psychological disconnect, right? But, but for most people, it's, it's necessity. And so that's, that's where I go to when trying to understand um, what many people would call evil. What do you wish that more people knew about, like, special forces and the type of operations that you can't talk about? Um, what do you wish that the Monday morning quarterbacks knew? Well, first of all, uh, I would say that everything that you're seeing in the media is is just but shades shades of situations. And so, so you got so many people there, you know, that uh, <laughs> over the last few years who've become experts in some domain or another based on on Facebook information and and you know the the first page and a half of Google searches because obviously you know that's where the best information is, right? You know, they don't. Why bother digging into sixty eight pages of academia when you could just look at some some regurgitated news information or article. watch TikTok. Yeah, that's a great one. TikTok is yeah. my favorite place to get news, other than in Facebook, of course. Which I already, <laughs> but uh, so, so I, I would say that the, that there's so much more to the world. Uh, something that that I think about a lot is that we have so many young people right now, and and, and again, you know, I've referenced Jordan Pearson, Jordan Pearson, now three times. This is my third time in this interview, but he says, you know, um, clean your room, and and what he means by when you clean your room, for those who don't know, is is you have to you have to set situate your life first. So we have a lot of these twenty year olds, twenty five year olds, you know, who are who are um, they're in a they're in a tumultuous society right now where where things are very new, difficult. They have the introduction of of new changes, AI, things that we couldn't have fathomed. You know, even even in your day and my day, you know, when we were in high school, who would have thought that one day you'd have an AI be able to write your your philosophy paper. <laughs> you know, that you could get away with doing that if you were smart, right? You don't have to do anything anymore. And, and so we couldn't, have, we couldn't have possibly fathomed that. There are these so many challenges that, that, that our, our youth are facing right now. And, and for some reason, and for some reason, rather than get a hold of their lives and, and try to understand their situation, they believe that it's, their, it's their, their obligation to try to weigh on on problems that mankind has faced for thousands, tens of thousands of years. And, and it's like, hey, look, maybe one day, 23-year-old, you're going to be a leader. Maybe one day you'll be a world leader or, or, or a, a, a leader of science, a leader of medicine, but it's not today. So, so clean your room, you know, go to school, get your life together, take accountability for your own life. And then maybe one day, maybe then you'll be able to weigh in on the answers. But I promise you, you are not going to solve the world's problems. You are not going to do it. And, and it's just is that simple. <laughs> So how how do you foster empathy? This is a this is a thing I just got a chance to interview Eddie George recently, and I was talking to him, and I mean he's a warrior. Um, he started every single game of his NFL career. There's only two other running backs that did it: Jim Brown and Walter Payton. That uh, started every um, game of their career and rushed for over ten thousand yards. Whoa! I mean this is unbelievable. I mean he played through injury. The dude is a warrior. I mean absolute beast. And I was like, how do you have empathy for a kid who's like 
you know, coach, I'm, uh, I, I got a little sniffle. You know what I'm saying? Because that's a tough place. Now, when I say that, here's a warrior on the football field. But I'm sitting across from a warrior, like a true warrior, like a real-life Chuck Norris. I mean, the, the legend of Chuck Norris is sitting in front of me right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you ran down buildings face first. <laughs> face first. Like, and we're not talking about some movie. You were telling me about it like it was just normal stuff. You were like, oh, yeah, Australian repelling. I was like, well, what the hell is that? And then you said, <laughs> you're running down forward. And I was like, why would you do that? And you were like, so you can get down faster. And then taking fire during that time. And then falling. How do you foster empathy in the companies that you have, dealing with the people that you're dealing with, when most of the stuff that the challenges that they're dealing with are not life and death. And you've actually had challenges that are life and death. Because life is based on, um, all life experiences are based on, um, uh, perspective. So, so every time an infant cries, it's the worst moment of their life because they can't remember something worse because they don't know anything worse. It doesn't make their experience any less real. And so I, I have empathy because just because they haven't lived the life I've lived, um, it doesn't make their problems any less real. So if they can learn to cope with those small issues, they'll dig themselves out of that hole and they'll become great. Or they'll let themselves drown under, under the failure to adapt, failure to, to grow from, from challenge. And, uh, and they won't become great. So in the end of the day, we all suffer. And, and, and I, I, my heart goes out to those who are suffering with small problems. And I hope that they'll find a way through those small problems. And one day, if they do, they'll be great. And, they'll, and, and that'll be great. And everything will be happy. Or no one will ever remember their name. And if that's the case, then that's, that's, that's what they've built with their life. So if you're in that situation, do you want to be known or do you want to be a name that no one will ever hear again? So for most people, I would say that we all want to be a name remembered. We want to have a legacy. You know, it's at some point that's that's human nature. You know, it's it's one of Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that self-actualization at the top, leaving a legacy. And and I, I deal with it because I understand that my reality is not, is not most people's reality. And, and I, I, to some extent, do the things that I do for that exact reason. A, a quick story. I, I, when I first got out, okay, there was a, I went to work at a place. I went to get an interview. Um, so I, I applied for U.S. Marshals, and I was waiting for that for a long time. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. It was new, exciting freedom that I'd never tasted before. And I was like, oh, what do I do? And this was in 2014. When I when I first started experiencing civilian life, and so uh, I um, I went to an interview at a tire company, and I sat down with this lady, and she was the CEO's CEO's niece. It's a place. Well, I probably shouldn't say it online, but but it's it's Target, a big it's Target. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a it's a it's a it's a very big chain in um, in Oklahoma uh -huh. tire place. And I sat down. She was the uh, regional director, and she's interviewing me for a store manager position. And so uh, she says, 
so tell me, looking at my resume, sees my resume and everything that I've done, and she says, so tell me, um, how do you think you do under pressure? <laughs> With, to which I responded, uh, well, um, I, I believe I do very well under pressure. And then she says, well, I'll tell you what. And she has this very thick, very thick country accent, you know, well, I'll tell you what. She goes, I've had a lot of young men sit here in front of me and tell me that they do well, but let me tell you something about stress. And I, and I thought to myself, oh, okay, okay, um, overweight, middle-aged lady um, who's, who's a, related to a CEO of a major company, please tell me about hardship and stress. You know, and she just says, and this is a real story, she says, uh, imagine if you change the tires on this family's van. And then, the, and then you don't oversee your guys properly, and then one of the lug nuts gets knocked off. And so that family is driving down the road, and then their tire gives way, and they're stranded on the side of the road for, for three hours waiting for a tow truck in the hot Oklahoma weather. And I was like, I was enraged. I, 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 I stood up, Kelly, I stood up, and I said, ma'am, I don't think this job is for me. And I got up and I walked out, right? And, and so I was so angry about it, like... Like, you know, I, I was fresh out. I, I had all these traumas in my head. It, and I remember thinking, why am I so angry about that? And then it occurred to me, it's perspective. A lot of the suffering that we go through in... <laughs> I, I'm just trying to picture her face. Oh. I'm trying to picture her face right now. Did she? Did she have like big hair? Did oh, she have she, she blonde. Had yes, big, big blonde, blonde hair. hair. Big blonde hair. Yeah. Yes, and, and okay. she, she was. She laid it down set. for you. Oh, she yeah. let you. She yeah. let it down. Oh, she was. In, yep. She was like, look, if they're stranded on the side. Oh yeah. You don't know what that's like, man. Oh yeah, I couldn't possibly imagine being stranded on the side of the road for three. In hours. a minivan. In a minivan. Yeah, a luxury minivan. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as worse as it. That's about as bad as it gets, Kelly. Take me now. <laughs> 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 oh, I think I have abs now, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. No gym tomorrow. Well, but but so that so the the moral of the story for me in that and in, in where it came to perspective is uh, that was why I did the things I did. It's because you know, I want to take the burden of that. Mm. That should my experience should not be the experience of your daughter and of your son. I don't want that for them and you don't want that for them. God knows they don't want that for them, right? And so, so the fact that she was ignorant to that, I came around to the idea that I'm happy about that. And it took me a while to get there, believe me. <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm glad that that's not their experience. We need a, a wide variety of life experiences to make this world work out <laughs> properly. And if, if, the, if the stress of her life is about people in vans, well, somebody's <laughs> got to care about families in vans, I guess. So that's, that's good. That's good. I, I just wish I could have been sitting with you during that time when she said one lug nut, one lug nut comes <laughs> off when you're like, I've taken enemy fire, lady. Um, so, okay, so I'm the king of bad transitions. Um, but let's, trans let's go back to mission four. Okay. Um, because okay. I, I, and this is going to help, wh whatever your name was that you were in Oklahoma at this, uh, at this tire place, <laughs> I, I'm going to send this to you because you need to hear this story. Because this is, it's not at the level of losing a lug nut on a minivan um, with TVs in the back while your kids watch them until you get uh, AAA to come and change your tire. Um, but it's, it, it's pretty it's, close. Though. It's close. Pretty close. Paint the picture for us. Mission four. Uh, 
so we were uh, we were moving down a building to do an ingress on a on a find a particular target. Okay, moving down a you gotta you gotta sure. help us. Yeah. So so there's there's we were doing an, a, a rappel, but so we do call it an Australian rappel. The 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 intent of an Australian rappel is if you've ever heard of fast roping, it's it's not fast roping. <laughs> but it's similar. It's similar in the sense that you're, you're getting. <laughs> you just said if you're thinking of fast roping, it's not fast roping. Right. So, okay. You know, I wanted to make sure that people aren't expect like imagining that. You know, because everyone plays. Uh, what is that game? Um, there's this video game out there, Division, right? And so everyone's playing this game called Division out there, Division 2 now, I suppose. And and they do a lot of fast rope in that. And so when everyone thinks of, like, going down a, a rope fast, that's not a typical rappel. They just imagine, like, this fast rope, and that's 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 not typically not how it, it works. Okay. That's not it. So, so uh, Australian rappel, you're running down the building forward. And so typically it's used for, like, ingress. And so that's what we were doing. We were trying to get to an objective that was on a, on a floor that was, like seven floors, six floors, something like that. And, uh, yeah, um, we were going down, and suddenly we weren't making contact with the building. What about the first person? Tell me what the first person's job is, because when you sure, told me yeah. this, you said it like, hey, can you turn left right here? Yeah, this happened, and then you went back to your store. I was like, "What? what wait a second. <laughs> Because you just said it like it was just so natural and normal. Yeah, he's going to plant it here and push off the building, and then it's going to explode inside. But right, just so, it, so, so break they, it down to us. Yeah, typically what they'll do is, you know, the exterior buildings, even glass, is typically very strong. So so we were going into the side of this building, which was a big glass side. And uh, so the, the first person goes through, and they, and they get to that point, and they stop. And then they kick off. They, they plant a little uh, a directional charge, and they kick off the building. It blows out the window, and then we're able to come in through that, through that point. Okay. And so the idea is that we, we move in, you know, almost simultaneously. We got two different, three different ropes or however many you, you had going on. And then everybody moves in at the same time. Okay. And so... Um, we got to the point where we were getting ready to to strap that that charge on, uh, but we just didn't stop moving. We should have came to a point where he was preparing his stop, and then we were going to swing in. But uh, I, I I felt slack, and when I looked up over my shoulder, um, I, I saw that we were no longer making impact with the building, and there was slack in the rope. Mm. And so I realized that at that point we were falling. So uh, the the first guy um, on the on the rope fell with with minimal to no real injury. Second, How far? Oh, for him, um, maybe twenty feet, fifteen to twenty feet, maybe. Uh, the second guy was roughly about about seven to ten feet above him, and then I was seven to ten feet above him. There was five of us total. I was number three on the line. So the the first guy fell with minimal minimal to no injury. Second guy had had minor injuries, um, broke a broken ankle or something like that. And I had pretty substantial injuries to both my legs. And the fourth and fifth guy did not make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the story gets rougher from there. And I, I save save everybody some details, but um, but that the fight didn't end there. You know, we came under fire across the building, and it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, a close, close quarter combat. We were, we were injured, and uh, I don't remember a lot. Um, after the fall, I, I blacked out. I came to in time to to help to help the two surviving guys deal with the conflict, the conflict, and uh, and we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. The reason why I bring that up, not only for the lady in uh, in Oklahoma, because I want her <laughs> to hear the story, but but also too, it was something that um, you know you you sustained injuries to your lower legs, your hip, 
<clears throat> and the doctor had conversations with you about choices. Yeah, and, and you know, I talked to I talked to James Dixon about this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just just a great man. Um, but uh, I talked to him about it, and I and they said, well, we can save your leg um, um, and try to save your leg. And, and if it fails, then, you know, there'll be infection. And, and you're, even if we try to save a leg, you're probably never going to walk right again, if, if walk at all. And if the infection gets too bad, then, then you'll lose it at the hip, you know. Or we can just take it below the knee right now and you'll be fine. And I said, well, if I'm going to lose my, if, if I'm going to lose part of my leg, um, then I'll just gamble and try to lose none of my leg. And so I opted for the surgeries and the, and the partial prosthetics where they just put a bunch of equipment inside my leg. And, and, um, and that, and that, that has worked. It had a timeline. They said it was going to be good for about 12 years. It's what they, 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. And it's now been like 13. So, um, so it's, 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 lasted me well it's done a good job for me no major issues mm-hmm. uh, i had the same situation on my arm i, I don't know if it, i got a big old scar somewhere across my arm you can't i guess you can't see it on here but uh they they said um hey well we can take the arm at the elbow uh or or um if 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 it gets too bad then you'll lose it at the shoulder and they said um yeah, and even if we t- take it if we don't if even you try to take the surgery and try to make it you're likely never going to get full function in your hand again and i said well, what do I care if I lose it at the shoulder or the elbow if I don't even have access to my arm either way? I was like, I'll take my chances. Mm. <laughs> and, and I took my chances, and, and I don't have full function of my left hand, which is my dominant hand. I, I have terrible penmanship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 uh, it tires very easily. Um, I, I'm still working on, like, my deadlift and, and getting my strength back, and even still to this day. Um, but I still have a hand. Mm-hmm. So... So you know, I can still play sports and lift weights and and, uh, and you know all the other things. I'll hold my children one day. Yeah. You know, so. Well, the reason why I ask about it and the reason why I wanted you to talk about it is because I think it, it helps with the gravity part of the service of what you've done, and and the commitment and the sacrifice that not only just the you know in passing seeing you at the store, knowing you're a Green Beret and special ops, and you know thank you for your service, but. But to get to know you and to realize that, I mean, both your legs, like both your legs, I mean, that is something that is, it's not a thank you for your service. I mean, you have that, this is something that is with you, with your arm, the same thing. This is that sacrifice that is a physical manifestation of it, which I think is, I mean, I want to thank you. We we all thank you for it. Um, You said something earlier too and we kind of alluded to it but we didn't talk about it a bunch um and again i'm the king of bad transitions so how how do you go from special special ops real estate financial world to popcorn (laughs) and popcorn being your favorite now yeah, it, it is my favorite, but but because you've had, I, I want to honor real quick some of the other guests that you've had on. You've had a lot of uh, a, a, a couple of veterans on, um, and, and not just veterans, but other amputees and mm-hmm. stuff. And I, and I want to honor that and honor them by saying that, and, and and many other people who find themselves, it's it's not just the physical injuries that we sustain in the line of service, whether it's police or whatever it is. You know, even EMTs get, often get injured. You know, doctors, nurses. It's not just the physical injuries um, that stick with you, and, and it's not always in, in the line of duty. 
you know, sometimes the worst injuries come many years after the incident, you know, when you're trying to sleep. Some people trade their, their, their ability to sleep for a lifetime comfortably. They trade their ability to be able to bend over and pick up their, their grandchildren because of the wear and tear on their body, their, their back doesn't support it. You know, people trade major aspects of their life um, in, in the line of duty. It's not always something as serious as, as, as mine or in mine pales in comparison to some of the men that you've interviewed on here. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to honor them. But, but to your question uh, regarding um, how I made those transitions. So I've always been a fan of popcorn. Um, I, I love popcorn. Uh, I've, I've, I used to, even in my, in my home, in my, in my household, my friends, they, they know my popcorn. I cook it myself, it, you know, a little pot in a pan. And, and I thought that was so good. Do you like, shake it? Oh yeah. You shake. The oh yeah. Pan. Yeah. Oh, I, I, sh- I shake, I shake it so hard and I put all sorts of spices in there and, 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 and I thought that was the best popcorn ever until I tried Poppington's. But, uh, I had a friend come to me and say, Hey, Tony Torres, uh, he says, Hey, um, have you ever considered wanting to buy a popcorn store? And I said, sure, but I'm not interested. And he goes, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Take a look at some of these numbers. And I thought, like, oh, well, well, I guess businesses are businesses at, at the end of the day, right? So, so um, I took a look into it, and, and I saw that it was a, a, a wildly successful popcorn business with a very um, high trajectory, and, and it was, it was, uh, the product was, was vastly superior to any other product in the market which caused me to do some research into the market. And when I looked at the market, I saw that there's not a lot of competitors in that market. And, and uh, the, the clear line is that we're providing the, the best product out there. And for those who love gourmet popcorn and popcorn in general, we would love to bring that brand to their table in a, in a, a more affordable price, okay, and with a much better branding and service and passion than some of our competitors would be. You know, if you're looking at some of the bigger, the one big brand that's out there right now, it's very expensive. And, and uh, you know, so I, 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 I look at this particular venture um, with both passion and excitement due to the fact that there is no limit. You know, I see when I look at this and when I look at business in general, that there is no limit to success if you are innovative, creative and disciplined. And, uh, and that's what the team brings. You know, I ha- we have a whole team of, of guys that, that I work with, and um, they're all incredible. Um, I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of teams in my life. I mean, my whole life has been team-oriented. You know, I never, I never lived by myself until 2020, not in my whole life, not one day in my whole <laughs> life. You know, it was either with my parents or with, with friends or with, with other soldiers. I never lived a day by myself until 2020. But anyway, um, and uh, out of all the teams that I've worked with, um, these are some of my favorite guys. Mm. They're 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 dedicated. They're uh, intelligent. They're fun, fun loving, and and as an ownership team, we we come together. And uh, man, it's just it's just a terrific experience. And uh, I, I wouldn't trade wouldn't trade any of it not for the world. Well, it's amazing because you have somebody, and I've had this all the time throughout my life. They'll talk about their business, and you're like, wow. And it, it's amazing, and they're sold, and they're passionate about it. Then you experience the actual product, and you're like, hmm, cool. Yeah. And you just move on. <clears throat> you're excited about their passion, but again, the, my dad used to say, like, don't let your alligator mouth overload your parakeet butt. That's what he used to always <laughs> say, right? And this is what marketing does a lot, and this is what people that are passionate about something. But it, it's, 
unbelievable because you actually undersell it, even with all that passion, once I experienced it. Once I experienced Poppington's. And it was like, you know, I was excited. I was excited because, you know, Maddox's favorite food is popcorn. He's our favorite customer. And that kid has never used this word, ever. I know him. I've known him his whole life. <laughs> Hopefully, because I'm his dad. Hopefully. <laughs> But he opened it up, and <laughs> we were like, we're going to do an unboxing, open it up. I said, try, try it. He popped it in his mouth, and he's like, this is exquisite. And I was like, boy, what, you have never said exquisite. You didn't say that to your mom's cooking. You didn't say to your dad's barbecue. Never in – and I want to compliment you because when I say you undersell it, even with all your passion, the product far exceeds, far, far exceeds – the way that you speak about it and the way that you speak about it is at the top level. And you generally don't find those two where a person is so passionate, so excited about it. And the product is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, so we, we, we bought the business from a, from a, from a couple and, um, and they had, it was their baby and it was obvious. Um, they, uh, they, they didn't have the energy to, to pursue, um, growing, but that was their goal to want to grow it to a national brand. And they, what they did have time to do, and what she, particularly the wife, spent a lot of time doing is, uh, is mastering the flavor. Mm. And, and, you know, our new slogan now is go bold. And, and we say that because the bold flavors that, that she cultivated in that time and that, that our head chef now who, who continues to, to cook up new flavors, um, some of them incredible. We're, we're going to send you all of our new flavors that he's been busy cooking up. Um, I mean, it, it's just been, it's just been absolutely mind blowing, man, mind blowing. And, and it's been, uh, uh, quite a ride. Um, the, the product itself, uh, I, when I tried it, that was that for me, that was, that was it. You know, one thing that, that I, I live my life by is a rule of passion. I have to do everything with passion because if there's no passion behind what it is you're doing, then why are you doing it? You know, it's one thing to get by, right? It's like, oh, you, you do what you need to out of necessity. Well, that's true. But at some point in life, you get to a point now where it's like, where do I go from here? And that answer is always to something you're passionate about. If you were in a, at a moment in your life where you're like, what next? Then find your passion and that will guide you. And, and when I tried that popcorn and it was so exquisite in the words of the legendary Maddox, <laughs> uh, that I, I knew that we, that I wanted to be part of that, you know, and in no better group of people to do it with. So yeah, we, we formed a, a great plan, you know, a, a great, uh, great campaign, um, we're utilizing a lot of different measures of business and, and business strategies um, to to grow and expand. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, and we've owned it now for just a very short four months. And in four months, we've already seen some tremendous growth, some great plans laid out. You know, it's I, I'm very <laughs> excited for the future, and and I'm excited to, to for all of your viewers who haven't had it, who will hopefully check it out. Oh my gosh! And, and fo follow it, ladies and gentlemen, because because it's 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 going to be. Uh, it's going to be a, an ever-growing, ever-growing facet of uh, American society in the future. Well, I was talking to Tony today, and I said that uh, Mr. Mike Bender, shout out to him. He's a very good friend of mine uh, and one of my neighbors. And, and he was like, I jumped on and I bought, uh, you know, I bought Poppington's right away. And I said, oh, cool. What flavor did you get? And he was like, all of them. And I was oh. like, oh, and he literally, him and his wife, Cynthia Bender, they're my neighbors. They bought every single flavor of Poppington's 
That was their order. That's I mean, a lot of flavors. It's it's unbelievable to be able to, and the people like for those of you who want to uh, test it out, we've got the link in the bio. You guys can check that out. But also at the Vibe Room. So at the Vibe Room, the last Vibe Room, uh, everyone, every person got to experience it. The Taking Authority tour um, in Atlanta, you got to experience it. I had one of my guys. Um, he told me, he was like, "Man, this is like a drug." He said, I hit that bag. He's he like, he got the bag. He said, I got done. I, I, I just couldn't stop eating it. So for the people who, uh, what the, if, you, if you haven't heard of the Vibe Room, what the Vibe Room is, is the podcast live. So imagine being able to, you guys all get to hear and, and listen to, or see and, and listen to Merrick. But imagine being able to meet him. Imagine being in the studio audience and when you get done with a, a podcast episode like this, that you actually get to meet the real live Chuck Norris. Like you, that you get to get, get a picture with them, send it to all your friends and be like, yo, I've met Rambo and Chuck Norris. They had a baby. And this was, this was Merrick, but you get a chance to be able to be in the studio audience. Some of the most iconic people in, in their respective fields. And you get to experience that. And, and also you get to experience Poppington's too, because we have it there at the vibe rooms. Um, and it's just been, uh, honestly, it's been unbelievable to be able to, See, because at the Taking Authority Tour in Atlanta, we provided it. We didn't say anything. And then people were just like tripping over. I saw someone at the Vibe Room take four bags and put it. You know who you're, you are. You listen to the podcast right now. Took four bags, put it in her purse, and just was trying to close it up like, I, I, and ain't nobody <laughs> seeing me. I saw you. But we were happy and, and for And we're it. happy for it. We were happy. We yeah. were very happy. Merrick, you know why I started the podcast, because of Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is 11. You got to hang out with him. Coolest dude. He's, yes, he's, a, he's an amazing, amazing kiddo. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got a, a certain earthly wisdom to him at a, at a very young age. <laughs> and then, uh, so he's 11 years old, marched to the beat of his own drum. His sister is 14, um, and she Fire is actress. just, oh my gosh. She is such a great actress. She's a great singer. And she's just, she's so funny. Like, she gives me such a hard time. And so I started the podcast because of them. I wanted, I didn't want them to worship idols. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to be inspired by icons like yourself. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome. Sure. Yeah. So for Maddox, I, I would say that you have a bright future ahead of you. And that's that could be just as much a problem as it can be a benefit. Do not allow the beauty of the life that's been given to you stop you from achieving a beauty and a strength that you have within yourself. Don't for a second allow yourself to fall on the laurels of, of your great father. Instead, carve a path for yourself. And, and whether, whatever that path might be, whether it's, it's to fall in after his father or to fall in on, on another passion that he has, you know, football or maybe even popcorn, you know, um, whatever that might be, uh, it's, it's important that you carve your own path and don't let all of the wonderful positive things that you will get taint you because in the end, you have to remain disciplined and you have to remain uncomfortable to continue to grow. And for McKenna, McKenna, life is going to be what you make it. You're gonna you're 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 traveling down a path that uh, that's full of 
all of the most beautiful and horrible things in the world. It's, it's you know, something that my, my girlfriend Leah says often is that people, um, in, aspiring actresses and actresses, singers, that we're not designed as people to know what the entire world thinks of us at all times. And that's a route that you're seeking. And, and I have little doubt that, you, that, you'll, that, that, uh, that you'll find it. You'll find that, that, that fame that you're looking for at some point in your life. And, uh, and you can't let that stop you because there's going to be a lot of people who will, who will hold you down and, and a lot of people who will be there when things are going well. Um, but you have people all around you right now who want to pull you to the top. And, and those are your friends, not the ones who are there during the good times, but the ones who are there during the dark times. And, um, and, and that, can't be, that can't be overstated. So. What do you wish that more people knew about Merrick? That, that at one time, uh, I, I'm not what I used to, what I am now. I'm not, I wasn't this way when I was young. Um, I, I was a mess. I was angry. I was violent. I was, um, I had no ambition. I had no direction. And that that is okay. Because one day when you find your passion and you find a calling like I found in the military, um, and even if that doesn't match, you know, I wanted to be a musician. I want. I had a band, and uh, I, I was really into music. I would sing a lot, and I was. I was. I'm pretty good at it. Um, but one day, I said, "Well, this is not paying the bills, <laughs> is it?" And so I, I, I joined the military, and I kept my mind open, and uh, and I've carved a life for me. But I wasn't always this way. So if you're lost right now, the only way that you will find the light is if you continue to work on yourself. Hmm. And and I did. I'm not, the, I'm, I am who I am today through years of blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally all three. And, uh, and, and, I, and I guess the last thing that to, to, to say is that, that um, my father just recently died. And uh, one thing I learned from him was that being emotional and being open to your emotions is not a weakness. You know, tears are a, are a sign of strength, you know. The only weakness that exists out there is weakness of action. So if you can manage to wear your heart on your sleeve and to show love, and to show respect, to show kindness, and then just as quickly deliver any justice that needs to be, you know, like Jordan Peterson, uh, now fourth time. I got I to gotta start paying royalties <laughs> to this man. But he says... Uh, He's got to uh, pay it to you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he says that uh, a... a a good man is not a kind man. A good man is a very strong man who keeps himself under voluntary control. And, and I believe that. I believe that full, full-heartedly. Yep. So, so, so ultimately, um, don't be afraid of your emotions. Lean into your emotions, but control your emotions. Mm. Your, your emotions will lead you to passion. Passion will lead you to, to where you want to be in your life. If you just have the guts to fail, because you're going to fail. And that's okay. I've learned far more from my failures than I have my successes. Merrick, we have something in common that I, I, I mean, I think both of us wish that we didn't. And um, in 2021, I lost my my pop and is my best friend. Um, and you just recently went through it. 
um, I sometimes ask myself, like, and I he comes to me in dreams. Like, I'll see him in dreams, and it'll be so real, and it'll be like, oh, man, like, I got, like, a half a day with him. And I'll soak it up, whatever it is. And I, I think I've gone through that point where I'm like, what would I say? Like, if he was sitting here, what would I say to him? And I had to go back and forth on it, and I, I realized that, when I said to you, he's my best friend, and I've said th- said this before, but, like, I never told him that. I never told him. I would refer to my best friends because I have, you know, well, my friend Will has been my best friend since I was in fourth grade. My brother is my, you know, my best friend. But my guy was my pop. And I never told him. And so if he was sitting here with me, and I could tell him one thing, and then he would just go back to heaven... I would say, Pop, you're my best friend. If your pop was here right now, what would you say to him? My dad and I had a joke, an inside joke that we would often talk about. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm, 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 I have a lot of his similarities, uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for that. But we would joke around, and he, he, would, uh, he would say, oh, well, you're just the new model. I'm the original. I'm the good one. And, uh, and then I would make some sort of you know, cunning, silly remark back, like, uh, you know, they, they always have to approve on the originals because they don't function right. You know, they always find a better way to function. But I don't think that I could have ever, I could ever have the strength of character that my dad had. My dad was, uh, he was a, just a tremendous, tremendous person. And I did tell him that often. You know, I, I want to share one thing real quick. Um, I, uh, I, I was going in the, in the last few, last month and a half of his life. Um, we knew it was coming and um, we didn't know how soon, but we knew and I was having a hard time dealing with it. And so um, I, I just couldn't accept it. I, uh, I wasn't ready to lose him. And uh, I, I was having like pre-grief grief. And I thought to myself like, what would I tell somebody in my shoes? Um, and so I ran through all of the ideas of you know, my, my, my degree and my training for psychology and what, what, how would I help somebody in my shoes? And I had this idea, and uh, I set up two cameras, and I interviewed him, much like you're doing me. And I talked to him about his, uh, his, his childhood, his early childhood, his parents, his siblings, you know, the tragedies of his young life when there were many. Um, meeting my mother, um, having children, early fatherhood, um, successes and failures of life, lessons learned, and message for his grandkids that he'll never meet. And uh, at the end of that, he um, he said that he found closure for the first time. And at that moment, I realized that I had to. So sometimes the best way to say goodbye to someone, I think, is to get to truly know them in ways that maybe you haven't. And I think in that moment... Um, he got to revisit his life in that three-hour interview. Um, 
and, and for those of you who are listening who could be facing the same thing in the future, um, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to a, a, a man named Tom right now who's our head chef who's looking at something potentially similar in the future. I, I can't think of a better way um, to find closure. And I wonder why we as a, as a, um, my psychology is not teaching this method a little more because I think there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge lost in those times. And, um, and, and when we don't talk to, uh, to the people who came before us, we lose a lot of that. I, my father was my hero. He's always going to be my hero. And, uh, you know, he was the best man at my wedding and he won't, you know, my first wedding and he won't be there for my second, but, uh, but I'll have my place open for him anyway. He'll be there. Merrick, I can't thank you enough, man. I can't thank you enough for being so transparent um, with me, man. And uh, it is, it's my honor, my pleasure. I can't wait. I, I mean, I can't wait to have you on again. Um, <laughs> I'll keep giving you a hard time for the rest of your life, too. And we're going to seek out your check at Target, too. Because I want... <laughs> I want to spend it. My daughter likes Target, so we'll get that money and we'll just give it right to her. Um, but it, it's been a it's been a pleasure for all of you out there listening and watching. Um, I want to thank you, and this is this is in the the words of the the great Sly and the Family Stone. Thank you for letting me be myself. And Merrick, when when we started the podcast, everyone told me you have to do it a certain way. You got to have a certain time frame. You can only talk about specific things. <laughs> And you have to stick to that. And if you don't stick to that, no, it won't work. And it wasn't that I was trying to prove him wrong. Because I don't, I don't believe in that part of it. But it was just, I just didn't want to do it. And it's been amazing because of all the people listening, watching, sharing, that you've helped us to get into the top 1% globally. And that is, it's, it's my honor. It's my honor. Um, my promise to every one of you who is listening and watching I'll keep bringing you people like Merrick. I'll keep bringing you people like Merrick. If you want to continue, you continue watching, sharing, listening, subscribe on YouTube because my son will think I'm cooler. <laughs> Write a review on Apple. Do it on Spotify too. If you want to experience the podcast live, come to the Vibe Room. Like the Vibe Room, it, for me, it's unexplainable. Can you explain it? There was, a, there was an energy an energy, I, I've, I, I can quite honestly say that I've never been in, in a room full of so many people that, uh, that wanted to be there. They were, they were on every word, you know, you, you brought in, um, two absolutely, three absolutely wonderful speakers. Um, you know, uh, I, I could honestly say that quality people bring quality people. And, and that's the people that you surround yourself with. And so there's, there's, there's no doubt. And, and little, little, um, there's, there's very little reason <laughs> to be confused as to why the, the Vibe Room is so popular and, and why it's so great. I mean, you just, you bring the greatest people. And uh, there's Thank so you. much to learn from the people that you bring on. Uh, I'm grateful to, to, to be uh, among some of, the, some of the wonderful people you've spoken to. 
and while I think I'm, I'm hardly worthy, I, I am excited to be here, and, and, and I would love to be on here again. <laughs> well, uh, you will be, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's nice. We, the, the Vibram, October 5th, uh, Salt Lake City. Um, it's downtown at the Edison House, and it's going to be amazing. Our, our lineup is packed. We've got Thorough Bailey, who is one of the uh, top and led, most legendary Utah Jazz, and he's the voice of the Utah Jazz. Um, this man is unbelievable. Um, we've got the founder of the E Entertainment Network, Larry Namer, who's going to be there. And we've got uh, award-winning singer-songwriter and speaker, um, Mr. Uh, Damian Horn, who's going to be playing and doing music. It's going to be, it's going to be unbelievable. So I want to thank you again, all of you watching, listening, sharing. Um, and Merrick, I, again, my hat's off to you. It has been an, my absolute pleasure and honor to be able to have you on the show, man. And you're officially off the hot seat.